The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. Hello and welcome to the Doctor Who pod. And today is guest day. Bloody love guest day. But first, with me as always is my partner in time, Mr. Dan Griffin. How are we doing, my friend? Uh, gassy, to be honest. Pretty amazing. Uh, having a bit of tummy trouble, so apologies for any uh, any errant uh, rumbles and squeaks you may hear throughout this episode. Um, I'm, uh, I'm I'm off I'm off a lot higher than usual. <laughs> Which takes some doing, to be fair. Takes some. Doing. It does. It does. I, I, um, yeah. Well, you heard all the uh, all the bullshit I was spewing last week about uh, about vampires and Venice and mm. and all that all that awfulness. It wasn't that bad. I just think you had a negative outlook going in. Oh yeah, I was expecting complete dog shit, and I was I was met with complete dog shit. Okay. We're not going to get into that. We're not going to get into that again. No, we're not because no, we're not because we've got we've got worse coming. But we are back on farm today. Yes, I'm very, I'm very excited because there's a certain part of the of what we're covering this week that I could just talk about and gush over ad nauseum. So we're back into something that I consider very good, and I'm looking forward to getting your opinion on. But more importantly than either of us two is our guest who picked it, and we've got Turd Ferguson herself crossing over from UTT. Into the Doctor Who pod. Sarah's with us. How are you doing, mate? Hello. Yeah, I'm really well, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Um, I'm not gassy, but I do have a gassy drink. Um, I've cracked open the baby sham already, you know, for Christmas. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I've got, I've got a big glass of baby sham, which is quite gassy. Um, but so far, no. My, even me, myself, I'm not gassy. Uh, but I'm good, good yeah. Know. I'm good. I'm very excited for the next two episodes we're going to discuss yeah because he's my favorite doctor ah see that's what i was about to get to well, before, ah, before we cut co- before we cover that actually i owe you both an apology because we were supposed to record this a few days ago however that people listening won't be aware of um i need to say sorry because i fell asleep and <laughs> well we were supposed to record at 2 p.m i think it was wasn't it, it was. and i woke up about 20 past one 25 past one <laughs> thinking yeah. shit i haven't actually watched the episodes yet so I, uh, I I hugely apologise to you both for my lack of professionalism and for staying up late watching wrestling and not getting enough sleep and just basically being a big forty-one-year-old fucking waster. So never, never apologise for watching wrestling first. No, no never apologise. I, I watched it the next day. Yeah, so we all watched full gear, but 
Yes. You, you, you can apologise for being a complete fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> and I, pr- I yeah. promise that we'll only only rinse you a lot. Yeah, that's fair. Enough, mate. Should the, should the opportunity <laughs> arise. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. Uh, so then, Sarah, what we ask our guests uh, normally is, first of all, how did you get into Doctor Who? Um, how did you discover it? And then I suppose the normal conversation goes to favourite doctors, favourite villains, and, and favourite companions, really. So how did you initially discover this uh, this this crazy world of a little time-travelling dude in a blue box? So I, I was a really late bloomer. Um, so I basically knew all about Doctor Who, never watched it up until Capaldi was Doctor, so he was my first Doctor. Okay. Um, my partner and his best friend Gary had it on the TV and they were like, oh, Doctor Who's on. And basically my mum had always given me this kind of conception that that Doctor Who, because she was thinking of like the 70s and 80s, she, was, she always said to me, oh, no, it's really corny, you know. That you know the, the the graphics are really bad and it's it's just terrible. You don't want to be watching that. Um, but I got hooked. I don't know what episode it was, uh, but it was definitely Capaldi. I was sat there playing on my phone while these two were watching it, uh, and just discovered, wow, this is my bag. I'm really into this. And then from there, went back to Eccleston and watched all new Who, but I've not done any of the old Who yet. Okay. Interesting. Oh, that'd be something to to have you back on the show at some point to discuss. I think if you start watching a few old classic who's and that. But yeah, you're right. Some yeah. of it can be a bit a bit corny, a bit wobbly, but <laughs> there is some absolute gold there as well, mind. There's, there's some great I, stuff in there. On that, I think that if we did go down the route of having guests on who've never watched old who or never watched classic who, I think Sarah would probably get on with John Pertwee's Doctor. Yeah, really? yeah great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. good to have somebody on who's. Who's doctor is you know is slightly you know in the later sort of in the later part of it and, and especially mm. Capaldi because I've said multiple times on this show that I think a lot of Capaldi's era has gone it went underappreciated sorry uh, at first uh, on first watch um, by a lot of people myself included and has actually aged incredibly well and got better as time's gone on. Mm. Okay. It's probably not something you should yeah. say because I think you, I know for a fact you you enjoyed them right from the off. Well, yeah, I, I just it's it's this thing that I discovered and then I've just fell in love with and I'd never seen before. And yeah, it was Capaldi and obviously Clara was companion at the time. Um, and oh, yeah, so I just turned his mic off at the, at the mention of Clara. I dread to think. <laughs> no, yes, Clara's I'm, I'm amazing. Clara. <laughs> I know, it, it, oh yeah, totally. I'm very very likes, fond of Clara. He likes Clara. Oh, he, likes, he, he likes Clara a lot. <laughs> yeah. I, I do a great deal. I a great deal, but we'll probably get into that as we go through the show. Uh, so Capaldi's your doctor, then that's that's the guy who yes. who you would say is your favourite, yeah? Definitely, yeah. So I, I don't know if it's because it was the first one that I saw, but mm-hmm. I've got to admit, Matt Smith is pretty close. Okay, interesting. So I'm going back through New Who with my daughter as as listeners to the show and and Dana oh. fully aware. Uh, she caught an episode at random when I was recording for, well, doing my research and sorry for, for, for the show and she got really into it. So we went back to the very first episode of new who and I've been watching it back in all. And it, it's, it's brilliant because I'm watching stuff back that I'm really enjoying, but I'm also getting to see, see it through Charlie, my daughter's reactions as well. And she loves David Tennant. Mm. Like, Tennant's it for her. She, she, she adored him. 
and we've just gone into Matt Smith's era now. We're about sort of six or seven episodes in, and she's still undecided because she misses David Tennant so much. Aww. That is really sweet. It is yeah. really sweet. I, I liked Tennant, but I don't. I know a lot of people. Most people I speak to about it, Tennant is their favourite. Um, but yeah, he wasn't. I didn't dislike Tennant. I just prefer Capaldi and Matt Smith. I think. Okay. Yeah. See, I, I didn't get on too well with the Matt Smith stuff first time round because of the a lot of the Amy and Rory stuff. I wasn't really a fan of. Oh, I love that whole arc with um, River Song. Yeah, that that was okay. some of my favourite. Yeah, I love that. Uh, interesting. Uh, okay, don't. Um, what we're looking at today, though, is a two-parter that I, I'm 99 percent certain I watched when it came out, but could remember nothing about. So, Dan, <laughs> do you want to talk us through what we're about to watch today, and then and then Sarah, let us know why you chose it. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to look at the two-parter from uh, I'm testing myself. I believe 2014, uh, the Zygon Invasion and Zygon Inversion. Um, like I said, from what I rem- from what I remember going in, um, I absolutely loved it. Loved it at the time. It was for me one of Capaldi's uh, stronger showings, uh, to be honest. And it, it follows on pretty much directly from the events of the 50th anniversary special that we covered in our first season, uh, which I'm sure mm-hmm. we'll we'll come to. So I really like when something happens that's in the that sort of follows a, a certain continuity on one planet. So we've seen X and Y happen. And now we're seeing the aftermath, and we've gone through another. You know, we've gone through an entire new regeneration cycle, and this doctor's already had, you know, seen adventures and whatnot since, and is now coming back to sort out some of the mess from his from his former selves, as it were. Um, so I was really into that. But Sarah, apart from my waffling on, uh, what led you to uh, to pick these two episodes? Um, so it was a close call because I almost picked the the monks trilogy again with Capaldi. Um, <laughs> that would be a big task. <laughs> I know. I did think that because it's three episodes and it's, but I do love it. But I think overall, I picked these as you've already mentioned. I loved it because it carried on from the special and the events of what happened there, and that's one of my favourite episodes. Yeah, quite right. Um, there's a lot of kind of political statements behind this one that I like as well that are kind of underlying, you know, with, with the Zygons. Um, I, I like the Zygons. I know, I think they've only been done once before, haven't they, on, on Doctor Who? Um, they've only had, like, one other appearance. Apart from the 50th, I believe so, one or two, ah, yes. So yes. I'll probably know better than me. Well, but, in Classic Who, they turned up a few times, yeah. Ah, okay. I, I kind of was led to believe online that they'd only appeared once but still i like them because they have got probably the deadliest weapon of all really you know being shapeshifters so i, I like that obviously there's the war speech which i just love and dan mm-hmm. i know you could could rave on about it um i will be waxing lyrical yeah <laughs> <laughs> um yeah yeah, and I just think everything about it, I remember watching it for the first time. Obviously, we'll get into what happens later on, but it was just really cleverly done as well, I think. Mm-hmm. Not giving too much away, but obviously people have seen it. But I, yeah, I just thought it was really clever the way it was done as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm with you there. Yeah. yeah, watching it back today for the recording, uh, I mean, oh, I guess spoiler alert, because normally we summarise at the end. But yeah, I, I bloody loved it. There was there's so many moments in this that I, I thought were great. But there's also a couple of bits in it that I kind of might pick holes in slightly. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. But we'll uh we'll get to those as we run through it. So yeah, I mean as as Dan mentioned, this is now well it's basically seven years old this month, isn't it? It aired, which makes oh. which is insane to me that it's it's that old already. Because yeah. Capaldi yeah, to me seems like just yesterday. <laughs> it does feel so recent, doesn't it? It doesn't help that in the last few years with COVID and, and, and Jody mm. leaving, we haven't had a vast amount of Doctor Who mm. to get our teeth no. into. You know, so yeah, it, it really is one of those things that makes me feel like the passage of time really isn't for me. I don't like mm. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we get into the actual episode, do you mind if I just throw some names out there that are in this? Because mm. we don't have... This is an this is a two part that's essentially propped up by the sort of unsung heroes of Doctor Who that I like to you know that we like to sort of mention and, and honour yeah. uh, in these episodes. So I'll just uh, I'll just run through a couple now. Um, first up is a gentleman who will maybe familiar to a lot of uh, a lot of our listeners and maybe familiar to you guys, uh, Nicholas Briggs. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know do you know that name? Yes. Yep. Yeah, so no, the name since, yeah. since two thousand and five. Nicholas Briggs has featured, or rather his voice, has featured in 47 episodes of Doctor Who as Daleks, Cybermen, Zygons, Ice Warriors, Jadoon, Nesting, Consciousness. So 47 episodes in 17 years. And we've seen, we've covered him in uh, Dalek, Asylum of the Daleks, and Day of the Doctor. So he's just had an, an immense contribution to Doctor Who since it came back. And someone with even more contribution than him is a gentleman called John Davy, who plays one of the unit troops. He's been with Doctor Who since 2006, and similar to um, Nicholas Briggs, he's you know he's done a bit of voicing here and there, but also has played a vast array of monsters that uh, and enemies that it'll take sort of too long to list because he's had 49 episodes since wow. 2006 as well as playing Shan Sheath in the Sarah Jane episode uh, Sarah Jane Adventures episodes Death mm-hmm. of the Doctor okay. so that's an, just an immense contribution to, mm. uh, to the franchise as a whole and then we've got another of the unit troops is Simon Carew who's done 29 episodes since 2012 again playing unit troopers various monsters um, <laughs> what have you and we've got Richard Highgate who plays a road sweeper in this He's done 17 uncredited roles just since 2012, and we saw him as one of the postmates in Kablam. Okay. Yeah, he was one of the guys in the suits. And we've had uh, Ian Hilditch, who's one of the bodyguards. He's had 19 episodes in 10 years from 2005 to 2015. Again, all very very much, you know, in the enemies. And, And this was actually his final role. Uh, in Doctor Who, he's not not been part of that for the last seven years, and uh, finally the uh, just last couple we've got Aidan Cook who plays one of the Zygons. He also played a mummy in the Rings of Akaten in 2013. He was a crooked man in Hyde also in 2013. Cyberman in Nightmare in Silver. He was a Zygon in Day of the Doctor again, and a Cyberman in Time of the Doctor. But I wanted to say for last a gentleman by the name of Mickey Lewis who plays the Doctor's chauffeur in one of these episodes. Uh, sorry, okay. who, was, who plays the Doctor's chauffeur in Invasion and then mm-hmm. plays a unit soldier in Inversion. And oh. as far as as far as far mm-hmm. this show goes, it's the first time someone's played two separate roles in a two-parter. And it was two of... This is two of his 18 episodes since 2012. Oh, nice. Right. Okay. 
Oh, look, and that yeah. yeah, so he played two different roles and we never noticed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'd probably go back and watch it now and still not notice, even though it's been pointed out to me. To oh, I have watched it. I, I don't know exactly where he is. It's, it's so fleeting. But yeah, people like, people like those names mentioned really do go a hell of a long way to making the show. And I just Ooh. wanted to throw it out there before we got into it. Yeah, no, great stuff. I yeah, always definitely. enjoy it when you do that, mate. I always enjoy that. Uh, <laughs> The show begins, though, with a recap, I suppose, or a look back on the, the, the 50th, doesn't it? It does. And I quite like this um, this voiceover, you know, saying once upon a time, there were three doctors, two Osgoods, and oh, one good. peace treaty. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just a nice little countdown. And this callback to Day of the Doctor, as I've said before, is very much my thing. I know Sarah's agreed as well. Yeah, um, absolutely. What did you think to it, Si? Yeah, I loved it. Loved it. I mean, I'm, again, the first thing that sprang to mind when I saw the recap of the, the 50th anniversary episode is I can't wait to get there with Charlie because she doesn't know David Tennant comes back. She's got oh. no idea that, no idea that he's coming back now. No idea that he comes back for the 50th. Oh, my so, yeah, God. I, I cannot wait. And she's got no social media or anything like that. And none of her friends are into Doctor Who. So I think there's a strong chance she's going to get through to that point in our watchback and have no idea until he Not appears no. on the screen. Oh, so, I love it. Brilliant. Yeah. That was my first. I like when he when he's um, obviously Jodie Whittaker's regenerated back into him now. Yeah. yeah. I can't wait to her to see that <laughs> as well because when when obviously um, Tennant first arrives with the Doctor, first line he says is the reference to mm, new teeth, isn't it? Yeah. And obviously he mentions the teeth when he regenerates. Uh, sorry, mm-hmm. arrives again after Whittaker. That Charlie thought that was so hysterical. She walks around the house all day just going mm, new chief thinking she's the funniest <laughs> thing on earth so i can't wait for her to see that as well so that that was the first thought that actually popped in my head when i was watching this back however it was amazing for me how they got the whole essence of that story into that tiny little recap mm. obviously I've, I've seen it previously so i'm aware of what went on so for me as a, a fan who's watched the episodes it it literally gave me the recap i needed but i did wonder what if it was somebody who'd not seen it before and this is the you know they were unaware of the 50th and the story would it have given them enough information there i, th- I think it would because not enough yeah it, it's yeah it's succinct enough to say here's roughly what's happened the, you know, there were three doctors they fixed it there's two of these there's two osgoods there's mm-hmm. a peace treaty this is where we are you know, yeah, yeah. this is where we're picking up. We're picking up with a peace treaty. There's something happening on Earth. It's been compromised. So, yeah. So, but but the next the next question then becomes: So, what's happened on Earth? And that's where the next scene comes in because you've got the two Osgoods both agreeing to explain Operation Double, which is the Zygon peace treaty. And it's weird reading it back because it all sounds very dry and boring and political when you put it. <laughs> you know, when I put it like that. Uh, but basically, after the uh, the attempted uh, invasion in the fiftieth, excuse me, there are now two hundred, uh, sorry, two hundred million. There are twenty million zygons on Earth, and it's been agreed that they can keep the shape as humans, and they'll they'll live and how live and be housed unimpeded, and they can just go about their life. And they're making this video in case something goes wrong and unmask the zygons, or in case one of the Osgoods die. Uh, one of the Osgoods died. They're saying that most Zygons are, are peaceful and, and shape-shifting to survival me- mechanism, not a weapon. 
I think this is one of your points, Sarah, that you raised before, where they say that every race is capable of capable. Yes. Try that again. Every race is capable of the worst and being warlike. If one Zygon or human goes wrong, mm. the ceasefire will break. And I think it was very succinct, and it's essentially put the whole thing on a knife edge. Yeah. So yeah. it's already tense. Yeah, and I think obviously the Doctor gets into it later on as well and says obviously most of these, you know, people, Zygons, want peace. They just want to live. Yeah, and I think to be honest, I don't know about yourselves and I'm I'm not going to mention it too much, but with recent goings on in the world, mm. um, the, the invasion of Ukraine and whatnot, it, a lot of this felt very poignant and very tight, sort of very timely. Yes. Yes. Um, Definitely. Yeah, and... They go on in this video to say the doctors left them the Osgood box. It's a last resort, and mm. if it's ever needed, it means the ceasefire isn't working and it's a nightmare, a nightmare scenario. So yeah. Yeah. I love that because, again, it's, it, everything's already on a knife edge. You don't know which way it's going to fall. You've got a pretty good idea that things are going to go to shit because it's Doctor mm. Um But, yeah, cracking opening for me without very much happening, which is a very difficult thing to do. Yeah, and it for me, it's you mentioned there about sort of similarities in uh, the real modern world. I guess I think it's written that way purposely. I think it's it's done to be oh, yeah. almost like a running commentary of what's gone on. I mean, some of the the references that that happen over the the the, the course of this two parter, mm -hmm. uh, they're talking about you know this this radical breakaway group this splinter group, mm. and it's all you, you think. Well, twenty twenty fifteen, this first aired, it's like that's around the time of a lot of issues that were, were, you know, being touched upon in this episode. They're talking about radicalization of, mm. of the young and this, mm. this splinter group, this breakaway group of what well, terrorists effectively, this, they, um, they want, they want units to bomb them to yeah. turn everyone else. Into yeah. Radicalize their way everybody yeah. else. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly what's going to happen. And this was also, so this aired about a year after the annexation of Crimea by Russia. Because mm -hmm. oh. that, happened, that happened in 2014, this aired in 2015. I think earlier I mistakenly said 2014, but we'll gloss over that. Um, yeah, <laughs> oh, so, yeah, yeah, I made it, sorry. No, you were You're trying to make me look like a dick, which I don't mind. I'm <laughs> yeah. used to it. Um, but yeah, I think you, you, you're exactly right. This is built, this is designed to be a commentary on war in general. Um, yeah. And, yeah sort of the futility of it, and we'll come to the, come to the speech later on, because <laughs> it, it just all hits the nail on the head. Um, but we see the real Osgood, don't we, running through essentially a battleground into a police station, trying to hide, getting a phone out as mm. an alien enters, and obviously we can just, we know, we can just about tell that it's a, it's a Zygon, and she manages to get a message away uh, before it, it drags her out. Now, the next little bit, it's a bit of a funny thing because a lot of people had, for some reason, a lot of people that I saw had a problem with the Doctor playing the electric guitar and having sonic glasses. I wasn't a fan of the sonic specs, to be honest. I, I prefer the screwdriver. But, you know, they tried it. It was kind of a fun quirk for Capaldi. I'm just wondering what you guys thought of it. Sarah, I think we've had conversations before and you, you really like them. Yeah, I mean, I suppose I would, given that Capaldi was the first Doctor I saw and I watched from there. Yeah. So for me, it wasn't anything that I guess had been done differently. It was just there. Mm. 
Um, but yeah, going back, I guess it is like you said, it's a, a fun, quirky thing for Capaldi to do. But yeah, I didn't mind the sonic glasses, especially with the jokes, you know, oh, don't look at my browser history, stuff like that. It, it had a few little <laughs> little jokes in there as well. Um, they, they, did, they did chuck a bit of cheeky chappy into Capaldi, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, I like, yeah, like it. What did, uh, what did you make to him, say? Um, I, I suppose I, I didn't mind them. They, they were fine. But I suppose it's the opposite to what Sarah just said. For me, the Doctor's always had the sonic screwdriver. So when mm. he had something different, and again, I fear change, it's a case of... <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it was just something different, I suppose. And I was happy when the screwdriver came back, put it that way. Mm. <laughs> like pulling, pulling a comfort blanket over yourself. Exactly, mate. But again, yeah. the glasses I didn't mind, and I think you're spot on when you both say about the the sort of cheekiness of Capaldi and and some of the Ooh. lines that you get, the comedy and so on through that. That works, you know. It works because of the glasses being there. If the glasses aren't there, then you lose those jokes. And I, I really liked that because Capaldi's doctor, mm. initially, in comparison to Matt Smith, who was who was just before him, was quite a grumpy miserable mm. dude for a while i agree yeah he was quite dark for a while and they had the whole yeah. thing where clara clara didn't take to him at all and mm. yeah it was like oh what's going to happen because yeah. he's, he's not the same obviously he's not the same um but yeah he was a lot darker than any of the others and i think that's why i quite liked him okay see he, he sort of lightens up doesn't he as the seasons yes. progress <laughs> and i think this is Again, I come back to my daughter. If she was watching this, she would find that sort of thing hysterical. Hmm. You know, and to me, that's quite important that the doctor does make you laugh sometimes. He can't be grumpy all the time or, or miserable. All the time. I mean, a perfect example would be Colin Baker. Dan and I have watched a few episodes of Colin Baker for the show hmm. already. And he is very negative and dark and almost aggressive hmm. at times. But there is no kind of light side to that doctor. Yeah. Or if there is, it happens very, very sparingly. And it just doesn't quite sit right with me. Yeah. So the fact okay. that you're getting these jokes with the glasses, I think, works quite well. Yeah, yeah, that's like the opposite of uh, Matt Smith, really, because I always think Matt Smith's kind of a light-hearted doctor, but then now and again he can be so dark. You know, like, mm. um, what's that line where he said, good, good men don't have rules, and now is not the time to find out when I have so many. And that, that was just really menacing from yeah. Matt Smith, I thought. It was really dark. That was well. That was the whole demons run when a good man goes to war. Yeah, it was great that. But anyway, back to Capaldi. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. The glasses grew on me, I have to say. But the Doctor's playing Amazing Grace on on the guitar, and one of the screens starts beeping in the TARDIS, and he all he sees is nightmare scenario, mm. and he's immediately in Brockwell Park in London, looking like a massive paedophile sat on a swing in a kids' playground as a as a school group gets there. Oh, I mean, where's the teachers? Where, where's the, the, the play leaders? Because if there's a dude who's just sat in the kids' park, first of all, you're thinking, that's a bit odd. But then when he walks up to these two young girls and follows them around, and then has a little go on the slide so he can carry on talking to them, I'd be thinking, yeah, do I need to call someone here? Or, you yeah, know, well, this I'm, is... I'm, I'm more surprised that he managed to do that in the middle of London and not get the shit kicked out of him. Well, mm. yeah, potentially. <laughs> he's, I mean, the one thing as well, tr he's trying to get all the clarity. He leaves a message saying it's Doctor Disco. Yes. Which, <laughs> which I didn't get. I'm like, okay, fair enough. I'll I quite like that. I don't know. I don't get it either, but I like it. Yeah. 
<laughs> but he, he does say he's in the 21st century and he's not sure which month, mm. <laughs> which I quite liked. And he's, yeah, but he's, yeah, he's, it's when he says he's trying not to attract attention by lurking in a playground <laughs> and approaching, like you say, two young girls mm. to not attract us attention, calls them Monster High and Cinderella. And Blobby. Do you call them Blobby? Yeah. Let's face it, you are Blobby. It, it, it cuts back. There's a little bit in between with a, with a unit safe house. Um, yeah, yeah where they're, they're just sort of catching up on what's happened to Osgood. But then they go back to the park and it says, it was, I've got it written down, it says, disguising yourselves as seven-year-olds to hide your blobbiness, but you are very blobby. You're the big blobs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, like, with these two girls, I, I, I'm not sure exactly what the what the Zygons are trying to do here. Are these two girls who are just friends or are they related or are they supposed to be... They're the, they're the, Zygon, they're the Zygon leaders. Yeah, no, no, I get that part, yeah. I mean, you can tell by the way they turn into big fuck-off aliens later on, Dan. It's kind of a giveaway, isn't it? You know? Well, I'm just making sure, so your track record on this isn't brilliant. <laughs> but, I mean, these are really advanced aliens. They've got all this tech, they've got spaceships, they've got all this sort of stuff. They've disguised themselves as two young girls who are going to, well, seven years of age. What would that be? That'd be junior school, wouldn't it? You're going to, you, mm. Yeah, junior school age. I mean, my mindset would be uh, you'd be bored, wouldn't you? Surely, because blobby, blobby space nonsense. Well, maybe, maybe there you go. <laughs> I don't know if it was to just make themselves look as innocent as possible. Like they, they can be the big leaders and controllers, but by but their actual view for to the outside world is that they're of two seven-year-old twins. I don't know if they're meant to be twins or just sisters or whatever. But, oh, maybe, yeah. they're, maybe, they're just, maybe they're just they are aliens. Our society, our social structures are all completely mm. alien to them. Maybe they just thought, should we start out at the beginning and see how it goes? Mm, okay, it just it just makes me laugh that they're kind of these these all powerful generals, so to speak, with all this tech and all this experience mm. and, and flying all around space. But then at a certain time of day, a bell rings and they've got to go do their colouring in. That's just you know that's <laughs> it, it. Just struck me as a bit amusing, you know. Yeah, it's quite funny when you when you sort of break it down like that, and then the doctor's basically interrogating them. Yeah, <laughs> so he wants info on breaking the ceasefire. He goes down the slide to catch him up, and they're basically saying that it's a, you know they're telling him to piss off. It's their jurisdiction, and they're about to about to get the the perpetrators. Then the doctor gets a phone call. And he asks if Clara's phoning in with her ass again. Um, I think it might have been Osgood, sorry. Or did you really send me a distress signal? And then Kate informs the doctor that Osgood's been kidnapped and data on all the Zygons has gone. So we're now into the world of GDPR breaches. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I promise I'm not trying to make this sound as boring as possible. <laughs> um, because what happens then is a Zygon gas bomb goes off and two great big blobby aliens kidnap the two kids. Yep. Yes, indeed. Lots of Which, smoke, uh, yeah. funny little wobbly thing on the floor, and then a big wobbly thing grabs the children. So it turns out that the old man following him around the park wasn't the biggest peril to worry about. No. And, they, and they actually show a van driving off. <laughs> <laughs> all, all that van was missing was free candy written on the side. Yep. <laughs> it, was, it was such a stereotype. But we also see get the first look at the resistance symbol in London. We'd seen it wherever Osgood was which looked to be, and we'd later find out it's in New Mexico. Mexico. In America. 
but we see the resistance symbol. And then we're back to Osgood on video, uh, reading as a hostage, saying unit troops will be destroyed wherever they are in the world. The enemies of our race will be destroyed wherever they are in the world. The war is about to begin. There will be truth or there will be consequences. And this visual with two Zygons either side of her, to me, was sinister as fuck. Mm. Again, it's very terrorist, isn't it? It's very, you know, the, the old school ransom video and and so on and the symbolism as well that the logos of this this group is very terrorist organization isn't it i mean you think back all the way you know the the, the 60s and the 70s you think back all, any terrorist group have had that kind of that kind of ethos haven't they mm. yeah definitely yeah I, I i'm with you dan yeah it definitely looks sinister and yeah, it is what would happen if you know. If you think about, it, if anyone was to do a video like that, yeah, it would. Yeah, I think it's realistic enough. Mm, yeah, apart from the big red blobby things. Apart from the blobbiness, <laughs> <laughs> which they so do look funny. ridiculous, but um, the thing with Osgood that that got me when, when mm. we first met her, and then obviously we're seeing her again here, is she's a massive fan of the Doctor. This is her hero. Mm. Having yeah. not seen any new Who, did you? get the references with her clothing and so on well i can't remember whether i saw this because I, I don't know which episode of capaldi i saw before when i basically i watched that one episode and decided right that's it i'm gonna go right back to the beginning well of new who and watch it all so there's a very good chance that i originally saw this knowing who osgood was okay um also my Ex flatmate Gary is a massive Doctor Who nerd, so he former, former, former guest and friend. Yeah, former guest. Yeah, he, he, ah. he does kind of nerd me out all the time with Doctor Who facts. Ever since he he, he <laughs> kind of got me into it, he does tell me things. Um, for instance, with the new Jodie episode, there was a lot of throwbacks, and I was constantly messaging Gary, going, "Oh, what what does that mean, Gary?" And he just has the answer. So yeah, I, I think I already knew good thing when I watched this one for the first time. Okay, yeah, with the uh, the scarf and the question marks and yeah, yeah, yeah. I love down to the, the Sylvester McCoy style um, sort of sweater that she had on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I can't name them all, but yes, I do get the references. <laughs> okay, great, awesome. I mean, McCoy was was basically my doctor. That's who I watched when I was Aww. younger and first got into it. So the first time I saw that jumper, mm. I was. I was crazy excited. It was a brilliant moment. Yeah, I suppose I don't get that reaction because I'm not. I've not actually watched it and and thought, oh my god, that's that's a throwback to my doctor. But <laughs> yes, I I got it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> and uh, Sai, I hope you you sitting comfortably. Um, don't mess yourself because this is the first time we see Clara. Ah, oh, Clara. Yeah, but um, just before we see Clara, the doctor tries her again, and he gives a really intense "call me now," you know, um, which was maybe a bit over the top, but I liked it. Um, sorry, you're going to say something? They're just saying 127 missed calls she had, didn't she? <laughs> yeah, it makes, you, it makes you wonder what the fuck she was doing and how just how often was he trying to call her? Mm. You know, like what? How big a t- period of time is that 127 across? Well, she got um, off her bike, didn't she? So she could have just been like on her bike for over an hour, and he kept calling her. I think the, this doctor does depend on Clara. He dotes on her. Yeah, he does. Yeah, so, so, yeah. 
she, well, yeah. she's, she's seen him, she's done what Matt Smith asked and yeah. seen him through the sort of the dark days of his first regeneration. Because, you know, that regeneration was born after was born after the, the Battle of Trenzalore. You know, mm. it was born after it was born in fire and, and war, similar to how Eccleston was. Yeah. So Clara did essentially did for Capaldi similar to what Rose did for Eccleston. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't think that's something that happens a lot, to be honest. With all the Doctor Who I've gone for all the classic Who and New Who and so on, the Doctor having... I mean, they've always got a relationship with their companion. Of course they have. Mm. But, I mean, Eccleston depended upon Rose to bring mm. him out of himself and so on. And obviously Capaldi here with with Clara, as you both mentioned. But I, that, to me, that's never been a reoccurring theme. It's oh. a real rarity, I think, for the Doctor to be that uh, uh, de- dependent, maybe not the right word, but do, do you know what I'm getting at? That kind of, you know, really needs that individual with them. Yeah, so, like so, he can't so, be without Clara, and I think that's yeah. proven, I think, later on in the series, that he can't be without Clara. I mean, I think they hint on it in the, the next episode, the inversion, but yeah, he, I, oh, I just love these two. They're my favourite, favourite Doctor, favourite <laughs> companion. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's brilliant. But Clara starts listening to the messages. We hear Dr. Disco again. And Clara sees a young kid on the stairs, can't find his parents. I think she uh, she recognises him because obviously they live in the same building. Yeah. She just wanders into a flat, um, which, you know, rude. It's all dark. She's startled by the dad appearing behind her. He goes off to get the kid, drags the kid in screaming, and the mum walks in. She's got the creepy Uncanny Valley stare on her saying everything's fine, and, and Clara leaves, ties her hair up, calls the doctor, mm. and says, did you just call yourself Dr. Disco? Mm. And the answer is no, Clara. She, he didn't just call himself Dr. Disco. He's tried to call you 127 times. <laughs> <laughs> With the, the going into the flat and so on, obviously this is done, from a, from a TV standpoint, this is done to be atmospheric, but looking at it from a, a story standpoint, she's walked into this flat, and it's a creepy atmosphere because of what we're about to see and so on. But you mentioned there, Dan, that it's dark. That's a, that's kind of of her own making. Why don't you just put the light on? Mm, that's true. You're muted, Dan. Yeah, we can't hear you. Sorry, forgot. <laughs> not often I do that. Um, it's bad enough, you know. It's bad enough that she's trespassing. She doesn't want to like hike up the gas bill as well, or the electricity bill, I should say. Mm, yeah, I suppose. I suppose. You know, it's rude enough walking in. You don't need to take the piss. See, I think once you've walked into somebody's flat and announced like that, it doesn't really matter because you've kind of already overstepped the mark, haven't you? To be fair, so, you, so you'd, you'd advocate for Clara to go make herself a sandwich and eat it, and then take a fat dump. Yeah, pretty much. Yep. Why not? She's done, she's in the flat now. Why not? You know, have a little in the fridge, try some clothes on, whatever. Make yourself at home. Yeah. Yeah, um, <laughs> but uh, we're, we're jumping around quite quickly here because now the Doctor and Clara pull up to Drakeman Junior School in Dulwich. Uh, they're met by uh, Kate Stewart, who's the daughter of uh, Brigadier Alice, uh, Brigadier Sir Lester Lethbridge Stewart, and saying that this were the school was the Zygon High Command secret base, and that suddenly makes the disguise of the two seven-year-olds all the more sensible. Ah, there we go. I get it now. <laughs> See, we were coming to summit. We were coming to summit. <laughs> Um, the rundown again, the 20 million Zygons allowing them to take human form. Um, 
And then Kate's, there's a great line here where Kate says, you left us with an impossible situation, Doctor. And he said, yes, it's called peace. Mm. Love like, that. All you, all, all you have to do is not be dicks to each other. Yeah. Yep. You don't know. blow people up. It's basically the message, isn't it? Yeah. Don't, don't be a dick. Mm. Um, so since Osgood disappeared, uh, sorry, impossible to deal, it's been impossible to deal with since Osgood disappeared, and there's revolution brewing in the younger brood. Mm-hmm. Uh, the walk into the command centre, there's the usual weird-looking control polyp. Yeah. Mess of bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> like a, yeah, like a big gloopy blamange thing. <laughs> yeah. Blobby. Yeah. Like, like, Blobby, yeah. <laughs> like, someone put a, like someone put a firecracker in a jelly trifle. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> The doctor starts trying to operate it uh, because the, the Zygons are, are starting to panic, and he's you know he's there. He's trying to work the controls, but Clara asks if he wants to be alone with it, and the doctor says you have to operate it by titivating the fronds. <laughs> <laughs> Clara just asks if he's enjoying it, and he just turns around and just goes, "No, it's not the Zygon ones, old habits." <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> It just that, that really tickled me. It was a nice moment of, of, of levity, and this I think this is something that the doctor, this version of the doctor, is very good at. And we we actually they address that later on, uh, which which we'll come to, which I think is a really interesting thing because later on Osgood effectively does a um, a character analysis on on the doctor, which is mm-hmm. uh, which is unique and doesn't happen very often. Um, Kate runs down again. Uh, about Osgood, about the Osgood saying there's always two of them, never know which one's which, mm-hmm. human or Zygon. Um, the, the, you know, that keeps the live link going so they can maintain the image. Um, but one of the Osgoods died, and then the other went mad mm-hmm. with grief and went undercover in the States and been kidnapped by the rebels, as we've seen. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, at that point, they receive a message for another video from the Zygon High Command and we find out that they're at, the, those two girls are actually called Jemima and Claudette. Right. Uh, we hear it, we, they give a message saying they've been betrayed, they were sold, the rights were violated, they demand the right to be our, their selves and then you hear normalise, normalise, the little girls chin into Zygons and get turned into electric hairballs which I'm assuming yeah. means death. Yes. And the ultimatum is given, we are now the Zygon High Command, all traitors will die, truth mm. or consequences. Ever so dramatic. <laughs> and again, though, it, it, it's an old it's an old method that we see, we've seen in the news over the years, isn't it? You know, there, there's people who have been bloody beheaded for crying out loud. Mm. And, and the video has been sent to news stations and so on. It, mm. it really is touching upon real life I suppose it, it sounds so daft to say because we're talking about shape shifting blobby aliens, but they're using these <laughs> these sort of red wobbly dudes and really touching upon things that have happened in real life and almost mm. shining a spotlight on it, aren't yeah. they? Well, yeah, because they're trying to cause a revolution. Mm. Um, one side will they will view themselves as freedom fighters. The other side, the other side will view them as terrorists. And I think this this two part does a great job mm. of, of of showing that from each point of view. Um, yeah, not all they need is that one retaliation, like they, they point out a couple, few times in the episode, uh, to, to get everyone on side. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, spot on. 
ne- just the very next thing we see is the doctor suggesting negotiation. Kate flat okay. out refuses as they'll yeah. just see that everyone's a traitor. And Clara says, well, if, what, if you, what are you going to do if you don't negotiate? And they say they're going to bomb the base in, ter- in Termezistan, which is a fictional nation that crops up quite a bit under Capaldi. Mm. And the doctor just quite rightly says, isn't there a solution that doesn't involve bombing? So yeah, and, this here as well, I mean, uh, I'll let you explain in a moment, Dan, what happens with mm-hmm. the actual bombing and so on, because it's quite clever. But he's the president of the Earth, isn't he? Yeah. Yes. And the commanding officer there is saying they're going to bomb and so on. And Kate is saying they're going to bomb and this is their plan. Can't they just overrule them? Uh, kind of, probably, I suppose. But it's whether they'd actually listen to him or not, because the doctor becomes yeah. the president. The doctor becomes the president of the world in emergencies. That 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 title gets given over to him in the direst of need. You know, like when the, um, when Missy was yeah. going to get the um, you know getting the Cybermen, getting all the dead people out of the Earth as Cybermen. That was the point that the doctor was given the presidential power because it had to be agreed by the other world leaders. So unless that all the world leaders agree. That his authority now takes precedent. Nobody really has to listen to him. Yeah, it's a bit oh, unofficial no. in a way. He can kind of suggest, but yeah, you, you never know. People could easily, yeah. They've got, just, they've got all this shit on standby for him. Mm. But until they go, please help, um, <laughs> then no, he doesn't have he doesn't have jurisdiction over unit. In fact, oh, technically, okay. in fact, technically, until those until the presidential powers are given to him, the doctor is a unit employee. Mm, yes. Yeah. yeah. So he doesn't have any any jurisdiction over Kate, um, who is now saying that the treaty has been comprehensively violated, even though there's been no act of aggression. Well, that apart from say apart from kidnapping Osgood, there's been no um, act of aggression towards human civilians that we've seen, but from Zygons. And this is where the doctor puts forward the argument that we've said we've referenced already that. The majority want peace, and this is a splinter group, so bombing them will only radicalise more people and more zygons. And it's exactly right. That is part of the point. When they, when people do these things and and you know and and have these terroristic acts or these these huge provocative things, as soon as there's a massive retaliation, Mm. it adds it adds to their ranks. You know, it, and, and that just escalates the situation. Um, there's a whole thing where they're asking what truth or consequences means. Clara says about it being a town in New Mexico. They're renamed mm. after a TV show for a bet, uh, which <laughs> I, for, I forgot to look up, but I hope it's true. No, it is um, true. Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. And the doctor sends Kate to New Mexico, which is basically a, a way of saying no bombs for you. Um <laughs> The doctor's going to turn Ezistan to negotiate peace, rescue Osgood, and prevent war, because that's what he does. <laughs> yeah. I like that line. Yeah. And he leaves uh, Clara and and, uh, and Jace, who's a unit uh, unit employee working closely with Kate, uh, to stay and guard their country against the scary monsters and the Zygons, <laughs> uh, which I quite liked. Yep. We did get a really great conversation as well i think it was uh between kate and clara talking about the zygon invasion in the 70s 
Oh, yeah. Well, was that mentioned at this point or was that a bit later on? I think that's when the Doctor goes off. And oh, okay. So he's actually... Le- okay, sorry. They've got it, it, In fact, yeah, it's just after this because um, this is when the Doctor asks for the presidential plane and Clara says, I thought you didn't like being president of the world. No, but I like punching about on a big plane. <laughs> he throws up the V's when he gets on as well, doesn't he, and stuff? He does, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, this is, the, and this next scene is really very, very clever because it's it's Kate and Clara and Clara's just asking questions, you know, assessing, seemingly assessing the situation. How many troops have you got? Um, you know, she, she, Kate's saying not enough. You can usually draw from the army but can't due to the secrecy. Mm. Clara asks if they've got any snazzy weapons and that's when Kate says about this this experimental gas uh, from, from the attempted Zygon invasion in the 80s. Um, made Z67, a nerve gas that rewrites Zygon DNA, effectively turning them inside out. But it was taken by the Doctor. Mm. And oh, the- all of that's, sorry, Dan, all of that's really clever yeah. to me. Obviously, that's a throwback to the terror of the Zygons that we've covered mm. on the show already. Mm. And uh, Kate talks about the, the naval surgeon that helped create the gas. Mm. And that's Harry Sullivan. That's the companion that was Harry Sullivan. That's Harry. Yeah, Harry Sullivan was apparently the person who created the gas, and because yeah. because this uh, Terror of the Zygons is the last story for Harry. He stays behind, doesn't he? And yes. Apparently, he he was the naval surgeon, and he oh. developed that gas. But there was also another little touch here that I didn't pick up on until I did a little bit more research. But it's so clever. Kate says that the gas was developed uh, at a place called Portendown. Yeah. Which apparently. Um, in in later series, uh, like the early eighties, the mm. brigadier tells the doctor when the doctor is asking about certain companions and certain people who worked for unit and so on, who he's he's not seen for a while, and the brigadier explains to the doctor that Harry is now staying in Port and Dane, where the gas was developed. Oh. All these little touches, I thought that was so clever. Ah, I didn't know yeah. any of that. That is, that is awesome. Yeah, I'd have never done that. Yeah. But just to jump ahead a little bit, because we find out at the end of this episode that Clara is not Clara. She's actually a Zygon duplicate called Bonnie. Bonnie, yeah. So this whole thing is Bonnie subtly mining Kate for information. Yeah. In mm. order to aid the Zygons. But it's done in such a way that as, as, a, as, a, as a viewer, you're watching it just for the first time, just watching it. Yeah, all right, you know, the, the planning. Okay, and then you get to the end, and you and you think about that scene again. You go, "Oh, that is clever." Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is very clever. So, Sarah, when you first watched this, <laughs> and this was all all new to you, and so on, when did you twig on that Clara was actually a Zygon, or was it at the reveal? Did it make you go, "Holy crap!" I, yeah, the first time it was actually at the reveal. Yes, um, and that that was brilliant absolutely brilliant and it's only when you re-watch it back with the knowledge that that's bonnie and not clara you're thinking oh my god this is it's all a setup they even told she gave away new mexico to get rid of kate and get mm-hmm. rid of the doctor to thingy to get rid of them it was all yep. such a great setup yeah i love it so very it's very clever. shame it's almost a shame because all these little moments and then you get the reveal at the end, at the oh. end of the episode. It's almost, 
I bet there are some people, probably me included when I first watched it, but I can't remember that far back. I mean, I can't remember what I did yesterday. So, but um, <laughs> the, some of those moments are so clever that I bet people didn't realize first time round because I'm picking up on them watching this back today. Yeah. And I know, I, I know that Clara is actually Bonnie and so on. So I'm noticing them watching today. I wonder if, I mean, I, I guarantee I was one of them. I wonder how many people watched this first time round and missed those clever little touches. And this go, this ties into what I've been saying for the run of the entire run of the show, that so much of Capaldi's era go, went underappreciated at the time. Because yeah. it was almost, I, I, it was I almost too lost of it, Yeah, that, that's been lost on people because you're not, unless you're like a super fan, I suppose you're not really going to watch them again ever so soon. And a lot of people will miss these tiny aspects of it that make you think, oh, wow, it's a really good setup. <laughs> yeah. Well, until, until watching the show as well with the, with the, with the Harry stuff, I'd have had no idea that that's all new information to me. And it just makes me enjoy this, this, these two parter even more. And there's another moment as well. I mean, we're basically at it, aren't we? Clara is going back to the flat to get some mm. stuff and they get in the lift and the lift is, I suppose well, my note here literally just says that lift's a bit gloopy. So because <laughs> there's, you know, all the, the Zygon goo, I suppose is, is pouring out of the control pad where the uh, mm. buttons are. Yeah. If you watch when Clara, despite, you know, her, her the person with her saying, don't touch it, reaches out and, and touches the, the Zygon goo and it sort of takes them to the bottom levels and so on. Mm. She positions her hand and her fingers in a way that looks like a Zygon hand with just the, okay. the sort of three prongs to press the buttons accurately. Now, looking back mm. now, knowing that she is actually a Zygon, that's, a, that's such a tiny, tiny little thing. But it makes so much sense looking back, knowing what she actually is. Yeah, yeah. I, I never clocked that. I didn't clock that. Okay. That's a really good point. Um, she sort of almost like how Spock would do the, the the hand thing from Star Trek. Oh. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and she sort of does that. And when you look at the Zygons, that's kind of how their hands are. So she's pressing the buttons or doing what I don't know, doing what they need to do yeah. in the shape of a Zygon hand. It's not just a random stretch out human being touching something. It's it's another mm. real tiny little thing that I thought was so clever. See, this is the thing, right? But even if you pick up on that. Things even if you've got those suspicions and you're looking at a hand and saying, "Well, that's a bit Zygon." Clara's met the Zygons before, in in the whole setup to this. Yeah, she's been taken into, you know, a Zygon base back with you know Queen Elizabeth. You can almost yeah. explain it away in your mind that she's already seen it before, so maybe she knows how it works. Uh, maybe yeah. the doctor's given her some information. So although it's a really cool touch it's still not a giveaway and not a full giveaway. No. Anyway. Well, no, it's not at all. I, I wouldn't have had any idea if I didn't know. No. Yeah. I think I mean, they can get away with a lot with Clara as well, because Clara is so headstrong. So even if you tell her not to do something, she will do it. Yeah. And yeah. with some other companions, you might think like, Oh, why are they doing that? Why are they just ignoring? But Clara just would because she's so confident and so headstrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so we, oh, we get our first just at this point as well. We get our first look at the the Zygon tunnels. Hmm. Yes, 
and and it's all very sinister. And there's all you know the makeshift elevator shaft that's coming down from the uh, uh, from the the apartment building. There's always something creepy about the subterranean. Um, but the, it sort of teases with that because then we go straight to Temezistan and the doctor rocking up in a Land Rover as a soldier is loading <laughs> drones. And I'm just like, oh, for fuck's sake, just, uh, you know, ah, it's, it's teasing us effectively. Um, but the way, the, the way the doctor introduces himself, where he just walks in and goes, at ease, I'm the president of the world. I'm here to rescue people and generally make happiness all over the place. I'm the doctor, Dr. Funkenstein. <laughs> Funkenstein. Yeah. Um, again, giving himself nicknames. <laughs> and what I like about this is this: uh, the colonel who's there and ordering the drone strike gives him the uh, "Yes, we know who you are" treatment that, he, yes. that uh, David Tennant used to give. Oh. People used to give Harriet Jones. Of yes. course, yeah. Oh, that's yeah, good. Which is brilliant. Um, and I'm annoyed now because the uh, the drone operator has since gone on to do something fairly big quite recently, and I forgot to note it down. Uh, <laughs> Uh, to take great podcast, uh, this. Uh, but yeah, so there's a, they're ordering a drone strike anyway, and the doctor's ordering them not to bomb the town. And there's sort of a really tense moment where you don't know what the, um, effectively, what the, the drone operator is going to do until the drone gets close enough to see the front door of this of this base, mm. and she sees her husband and a child. Yeah. Which just goes to sort of show how much the Zygons can mess with your brain. Which yeah, again is this, another great touch about the, about them as a villain. This is all new as well, though, isn't it? This is all mm-hmm. obviously we've seen that the the seventies Zygons and so on, but this whole being able to they they've obviously made a link somehow via the camera or however they've done it to get inside this 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 lady's head. To project that image on there, to to become those those people, to you know, put her off her her mission or her, her task, hmm. that's all completely new. That I mean, the fact that they don't need bodies in the pods anymore. Yes, okay, they still do it for various reasons, but they don't need it. Yeah, they don't need it. Or have they already been kidnapped while this drone operator soldier is on? Uh, is on manoeuvres. Is out. Is out on base. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. you know the same. Yeah, the same yeah. later on, they've been taken from all over London, and and the drone operator is played by Jill Winternitz, who, if anybody's ever seen, uh, if anybody's watched the Sandman, the Netflix sort of smash hit, as I know you probably won't have. Uh, she played the serial killer, the Good Doctor. Um, no, I've never seen it, mate. Okay. Yeah, that's very good. <laughs> well, it's anyway. on my watch list. I'm gonna watch it, but I haven't seen it just yet. Oh, hang on. Is that the one with Jenna Coleman in it? Or am I thinking of something else? Yes. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's why I want to okay. watch it. <laughs> she play, yeah, she, she plays Joanna Constantine. I'll watch that. Yes. I'll definitely watch that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for God's sake. So, so, so predictable. Um, <laughs> but anyway, she sees her husband and son in the doorway. The strike's aborted. We then see Kate rolling into Truth and Consequences uh, in New Mexico. There's the resistance logo very prominent on the uh, on the white painted houses, and we see a sign that says "No British, no dogs," which gives mm. us an indication of what's been going on here. Um, there's something watching her as she goes in. Uh, she walks into a um, into the same police station that Osgood ran into that we saw earlier. Draws a gun and goes inside. Uh, 
And it, it's quite obvious it's been abandoned in a rush. There's mouldy food and all sorts, and there's a picture of Osgood on the wall. And one of the sheriffs comes up behind her with a gun drawn, asking if she's one of them, is she alone? And where's a backup? And that's left in a very tense, almost standoff. Mm-hmm. Mm. There's a lot of flitting backwards and forwards, and it's kind of, it feels like each story is edging towards something big. Yes. So it, mm-hmm. you're, just, you're just there and you're just like, okay, I want to see what happens. Shit, we're back here, but I want to know this now, but I want to know that as well. I don't, I don't know if you guys got that way. You were like, just tell me what the fuck's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, I, I really liked that aspect of it. And I think it was really well done because it's quite, I think sometimes it can be quite easy to try and do these stories. I'm not necessarily meaning Doctor Who. I mean, I mean TV in general or even movies or whatever, where you've got different parts of the story all happening at the same time. You jump in back and forth and you know, you're heading towards basically the, the, the climax and when the story's all going to meet up at the end and so on, but it can be quite easy to make it a bit messy or mm. jump around too much or sometimes it can really affect the pace of what you're watching because certain parts of the story might be slower, other yeah. parts might be more action filled, or you may jump around too quickly and so on. I think this is done really well because as you said, Dan, it keeps you watching because you want to know what's happening elsewhere. But then when you go back to elsewhere, you, you're annoyed because you want to see what, where, what's happening with where you were. And it's, it's paced very, very well, I think. Yeah, it is. You're absolutely right. We've seen it before, uh, most prominently with the first Capaldi serial, uh, not Capaldi, the first Baker serial, Colin Baker serial that we looked at, oh, yeah. um, <laughs> which was just all over the fucking shop and was just <laughs> god awful. It wasn't um, very good. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It wasn't. But anyway, from there, we're back into Mezistan, uh, getting told that it's a Zargon training camp load up the Land Rovers. The Colonel wants the gas from the Doctor and the ability to rip them inside out. And the doctor says that's what they want, and not to, basically not to panic and and whatnot, and, par- and don't be paranoid. And the colonel ha- it just very calmly offers an explanation as to why she wants this, and she says any living being in the world, including my family and friends, could turn into a zygon and kill me at any moment. It's not paranoia when it's real. Yeah. Yeah. Just a mere, yeah, that's just a, really hard a, hitting. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I, I think uh, they've th- captured both sides of the argument really well. To be fair, because you would feel like that. Oh yeah, and, of course you would. And that that that's a really good point, Sarah, because you're saying about both sides of the argument. Mm. There's moments in this where, well, not even moments. There's quite big story arcs. I think where it, you've obviously got a bias to the human side, the Doctor, mm. and so on. But I think sometimes you're watching this and the actions of Unit and uh, the people involved there you do kind of sit there and think, okay, who are the good guys then? Because sometimes units actions are quite, mm. quite terrible as well. Mm. Yeah. And, but you know, unit, you will say they're all done in the name of defense. The resistance group will say it's all done in the name of oppression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 They'll twist um, it around. Yeah. And it, it, it's the whole, the whole way this is set out is incredibly thought provoking. And it doesn't glorify, uh, it doesn't glorify or condone either side. It's very good at, at painting. Mm. And to my mind, it's very good at painting the reality of this kind of situation. In that there will be terrible things on both sides. Yes. You know, in, in this kind of situation, you know, breaking a ceasefire, and you know, starting 
this kind of conflict. It's not completely parallel to what's going on in the world at the moment. Not not to my mind anyway, but we'll we'll park that for a second. Hmm. Um but yeah, the way it flits backwards and forwards and you see things from all angles and you do question who are supposed to be the good guys. Just it, it, it's it's what I sort of say about with Jodie Whittaker when so much of it is in Whittaker's time it is tell don't show. Mm. This this is show don't tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it leads you to it leads you to these thoughts and and leads you down this path of logic and and, and questioning things and and like the doc says later on just thinking. Mm. And that's what the, that's what Doctor Who did so well under Russell T Davis. Yeah, totally. I agree. I mean, you mentioned the Whitaker stuff. Some of it was a bit preachy. Some of it was a bit on the nose, yeah. wasn't it? It's it's much better viewing when you do it when it's asking a question or it's kind of hinting at something or there's little subtleties, as opposed to what some of the Whitaker stories did that basically you know slapped you in the face with it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. But anyway, we'll try and we'll try and whiz through this uh, this first part now because I want to get to the meat and potatoes in the second part. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, Chase and Clara see uh, footage of people going into the lifts, dragging bundles, and then disappearing, and it's happening all over London. You know, people are being taken. So what's going on? We're then back to Kate and the sheriff, and the sheriff is filling us in about the Brits unit soldiers coming two years ago. They just turned up; nobody wanted them there. Uh, no jobs, nowhere to live, no money. Uh, they were, oh, sorry, these weren't unit soldiers, they were just random Brits. Uh, they were odd and they started to get into fights. A couple got killed. Mm-hmm. And then after the murders, they banded together and, and one day one of them changed into a reptile. Mm. There's a sketch of a Zygon in the, uh, in, the, in the police office and, you know, they turned into monsters and came for the residents. And you can't tell who's who and, and can turn family against family. Mm. Um, the, the sheriff has seen Osgood but she's gone and just af- again after that snippet you're just catching up a little bit on the story in one place we're back to the doctor driving to the Zygon ma- uh, base they've got a 30 minute window before the airstrike the Zygons hold up in the church Osgood extraction's priority they know what the Zygons can do so don't fall for it that's the parting words of the colonel yeah they're, the doc- they're getting a briefing aren't they and I think yeah. This is when we started the episode. I said there's a couple of moments that I, I kind of end up will end up picking holes in, or a couple of moments that didn't quite hit it for me. And this is this is one of them when they're. This is uh, one for me as well. The, the the scene that's upcoming is a, a thing that kind of annoyed me, to be honest. So yes, yeah. This is one. This is one where I have to have to acknowledge that I can see what they were going for. But, but it wasn't executed in the best way. But anyway, they, they all move out. The doctor and the colonel are going up behind the uh, behind the base because they're in an old church. So soldier fires a warning shot at the front, orders the Zygons out. And a woman exits, saying she doesn't have any weapons. And she's pleading with him, pretending to be his mother. And she's got his sisters inside. They've been taken. They aren't imposters. The commanders are the aliens. And the colonel's on the radio telling him to ask for details. And he does. He's he's asking for the name of his favourite teddy bear and, and whatever you saying. She doesn't remember. Don't kill me because I can't remember. And the others exit the church, and they're all the soldiers' loved ones, and they're all saying the hostages. She can prove it. Just come inside. And he says, "This is the this is the precise lines that lost me in this." He says, "You're not my mum." And she says, "Oh God, you're going to kill me." 
and he says, Mum, please. So he's gone from, you're not my mum, to maybe. Yeah. I mean, I can see what they were going for. This guy's got his, got something that looks exactly like his mum, crying in front of him, begging not to be shot. It almost, yeah, need, it, 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 it almost needed longer for him to break down. But if it had been any longer, it, it, it ran the risk of being boring. Yeah, yeah, I just thought as well, what annoyed me was when he was saying uh, place and time of my birth, she just completely ignored that. Yeah. And just r- rant- ranted on about, oh, we're, we're hostages, we're the good, I'm scared. And it's like, I, I get that that's something that looks and sounds identical to his mum and that must provoke certain feelings. But I'd yeah. like to think if that was my mum, instantly she would have spurted facts at me instantly and said, look, this is where you were born. This is a song I used to sing to you in bed. This is, it's me. I'm trying to prove to you it's me. Not just gone, but I'm scared. <laughs> yeah, That's what totally. really annoyed me. <laughs> See, there's a couple of things that to me just, I, uh, they're more sort of minor annoyances, I think. First of all, the soldiers uh, are supposedly surrounded the church. Okay, they they've <laughs> not. They're all stood out the front, and they're not even they're not even like hiding behind a wall, or they're not even like some sort of, I suppose, military strategic positioning or anything like that. They've literally just all crouched down right in front of the church in plain sight. So, <laughs> it, if there was you know hostiles in there, they could quite easily just gun them all down straight off the bat. Yeah. Secondly. The the Zygon, who's who's Johnny's mum, I think is the the reference they make. She's there saying we're hostages, and then all the other all the other Zygons walk out as well. If they're hostages, mm-hmm. why are they like, going into this thread again of they're trying to convince them, and that it's obviously what they are. If they're hostages, they wouldn't be allowed just to walk out onto the front porch and have a little chat. They're, they're hostages very, for crying out loud. The very free, unrestrained hostages. Yeah, exactly. And free, then, um, free, free range hostages. Free range hostages. <laughs> and then the last one would be uh, Johnny, uh, the the soldier whose uh, mum was the first Zygon out. He's obviously having a bit of a wobble, and I totally agree mm. with Sarah. I can understand why this is his mum in yeah, front of him. It's, yeah. it's going to you know mess your head up a little bit. Yes. The commanding officer is talking directly to that soldier, saying, "You, you know, kill it. Don't, don't fall for this. Kill it." When they can see that Johnny is having a wobble, why didn't she then just turn around and instruct somebody else to shoot it? Mm. Yeah. That bit, no sense. Yeah, there, was, there is a lot to pick apart in that bit. Um, and it's one of those ones where I always call it out in other episodes. It, they did this because the plot needed it. Yeah. yeah. And that's the only that's the only justification for it. Like I say, I can see what they were going for but it just wasn't executed well. Mm. It needed as much care and attention as they put into other parts of the show. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's, it's minor little things. And, uh, you know, I'm looking at it for the viewpoint of we're recording a podcast, so I'm trying to break certain bits down. Mm. The other side of that argument would be, again, I come back to Charlie. She's 12 years of age. She sits there. She's not going to think of those things. No. no. She won't exactly. think. Why are all the soldiers in plain sight? That's ridiculous. She won't think, well, if they're hostages, why are they all just strolling about willy-nilly? She won't think that way. So I suppose maybe maybe I am being a bit too critical. No, I think it's I think it's right to analyse these things because it just goes to prove that as much as we can like something, I do like this two-parter, nothing's perfect. The, you know, we can... It, I think it's, it's, 
it's fair criticism, you, you know, even if it is, mm. as you say, you know, maybe a, a bit nitpicky or a bit minor. Yeah, okay. I'd still class it as fair. Um, mm. And from after all that, um, the colonel just shoots away in the back door and finds many, many electrified hairballs. Yes, all the soldiers. I mean, that's quite a dramatic thing as well, isn't it? Because all the soldiers have just wandered in and then just been butchered. They've all been killed. Mm. Yeah, they have. That's quite dark. I just, one of my nitpicks is the electrified hairballs. Why are they electrified hairballs? I don't know. They're just, whatever the Zygons do to them, just zaps them down into these little strands of matter. To hair. And yeah, I I suppose they kill them with electricity. So. That explains the presence of the electricity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's Fair enough. it's like somebody scalp Bob Ross every time. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just, I'm, I'm not a fan, but you know, it's it's used quite effectively later on, at least. Mm, um, yeah. The colonel wants to bomb the place to hell. The doctor's got ten minutes to find Osgood. The airstrike's on its way, um, and the doctor hears under the floorboards. So he's stamping around trying to find the entrance to the basement. Goes down, gets her, asks what the Zygons want, and they say about the new skills. Um, and they've fled, they've already gone through tunnels that mm. apparently get them all the way to the UK from New Mexico. Yeah, that's some good tunnels. Mm. Yeah, because they've done well not to disrupt any plumbing, <laughs> um, you know, or any gas pipelines or anything like that. But we'll, uh, we'll suspend our disbelief for a moment because you never know, they could have just got somewhere and then actually got on a plane properly. And, and um, how quickly then have they got there? I mean, have, have the Zygons got like mopeds or something? Because <laughs> if you're walking from there to the UK, that's going to take a minute. Maybe they set up some kind of blobby high-speed travel network underground. A blobby yeah, high-speed travel. <laughs> some, some, the subterranean blobway. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I think Subterranean Blobway are playing at Gallifest as well. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did quite like, there was a good line from Capaldi here where Osgood asked him what he's doing, and he says, rescuing you in quite a dashing way, I might add. Yeah. <laughs> yep. uh, but Zygon appears behind him, which is all very, you know, it's very sort of tense moment, and uh, gets taken out by debris from a bomb and says so much mm-hmm. for 10 minutes so that church has been bombed the doctor's rescuing osgood and it effectively all happens off screen which whatever yeah. that's fine you know we've seen enough we know the doctor's got a, he's got a few minutes to get out of the area it's the doctor he's going to do it and of yeah. course we've got all these other moving parts to the story as well so you know it's they've only got yeah. what, was it 46 47 minutes so yeah exactly and, and we're jumping around again the sheriff takes kate to uh, to a dumpster and it's full of electrified hairballs mm-hmm. and they have that moment where they say these were all people and then you hear the rest of the dumpsters crackling that was so mm-hmm. good yeah. yeah that's what i mean when i say it was used very well the, the electrified hairballs because you get in your sense of the scale of the slaughter in this place mm. Yeah, so good points for the ele- for the electrified hairballs there. Um, Clara and Jace have gone back to the tunnels. They've got soldiers with them this time, and they're commenting on how it's an odd world, and you know it feels like it's coming to an end. And Clara just looks this woman in the face and blames it on being middle aged, saying that everybody harsh. saying that everybody middle aged always thinks the world's coming in, to coming to an end. And Sai is the as the the one of us who's closest to that. Do you think the world's <laughs> coming to an end? Yes. You absolute prick. <laughs> I, said, I, I, I said closest to. The thing I is, didn't say you were middle aged. 
the thing is, right, I'm 42 in a couple of months. So if that is middle-aged, that means in theory, I'm probably going to hit around 84. So I'm happy with that. It's not a bad image. No, I'd take that. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, we're we're pinging around again. The presidential plane fires up. They've got the Saigon hostage. He's trying to call Clara. He's getting the voicemail because she's underground. Um, Him and Osgood have a nice um, sort of exchange about the question marks. Yeah, that was great. And Osgood says, "Why don't Why don't you wear them anymore?" He says, "He's got question mark underpants." <laughs> and then, then Osgood asks him what the question is, which I think is about as close wow. as, as Osgood gets to flirting. It also made me think as well, and this comes back to like the whole conversation we had um, on a previous episode, Dan, about the doctor shaving. It also mm. comes back to you know talking about his underpants. It just makes me think, so the TARDIS somewhere must have a washroom then. He must have a, leg- a washing machine. Mm. And yeah. So at some point, the Doctor yeah. is going to be doing his washing, which is another weird scenario for me to think of the Doctor in. <laughs> it's just so mundane. <laughs> the, doctor's, the Doctor's there getting like getting help. <laughs> his question mark boxes and hanging his Grundies up on a... Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <Aww. laughs> I imagine there's like one little silk there with hearts on it. And... <laughs> um, but then after after the sort of the um, the niceness, the nice opening comments, he, he asks if she's human or Zygon. And mm-hmm. she doesn't answer that question because she doesn't accept it. Her and her sister were the living embodiment of the peace, and she is still the peace. She's human and Zygon. And we mm-hmm. get a little hint here where the Doctor says, like a hybrid. Hybrid, yes. Yeah. Which, if you remember, Sai, from when we watched um, Hellbent. Was it Hellbent or Heaven Sent? I was getting confused. I think it was Heaven Sent, wasn't it? Yeah, you've Where, done yeah. Heaven Sent, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, um, you know, dropping in that little uh, little thing about the hybrid, which I thought was cool. Um, the Doctor assumes that, that Osgood is Zygon because they need humans alive to refresh the body print. And Osgood says those were the old rules before Zygons could pluck people from memories and take their faces. They only yeah. need the originals alive for information. If the interrogation is over, the human can die. Hmm. And just like that, we're back in the tunnels and there's chambers of Zygon pods, which I think look really cool. And also it's like, it's almost like somebody had swapped the color palette out of a scene from Alien and <laughs> made it all red and, and fire and almost fiery instead of sort of the cool blue of the Alien eggs. Yeah, I got Alien vibes as well, actually. Which I th- I'm assuming is intentional um, because it looks great. Um, the, the Doctor's interrogating the Zygon on the plane and the... Zygon tells him that he's the says he's the president of the world. They want the world. Um, we're back in the we're back in in the tunnels again. There's more soldiers entering the tunnels. They're sort of realizing that whole buildings full of people have been taken, and but they're still growing, so I have to neutralize before hatching. And she orders the soldiers in the position. Does Clara, and she's mm. like, "Oh, I'm enjoying being in charge, in charge," <laughs> and then. Uh, Jace protests and as they don't know what the pods are. And Clara just sort of brushes off, oh, their eggs are pods and, and whatnot, and she rips one off. And we see Clara's face in the pod. Boom. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. And Jace has this terrifying moment of realisation where they realise, where she realises that Clara's a Zygon. It's a complete, saying, um, saying brilliant setup. Yeah, Zygons don't grow duplicates. No. They keep the originals alive, and she wants to kill. You know, she was trying to get the get them to kill the originals, and realizes Ooh. it's a trap. And then there's Zygons out of nowhere. 
like an RKO. And this is where we start to get evil Clara, isn't it? Where the character of Bonnie, Bonnie, is, you know, obviously it's you know Clara played in a different way, and we get evil Clara, and I just fell in love all over again. I was going to say because <laughs> <laughs> me too. <laughs> <laughs> Just for oh, clarification, uh, before I came upstairs to, to record, uh, Sarah, I spoke to my wife and I said, um, <laughs> we got Dan's friend Sarah on the show today and she knew which episode we were covering. And Sharon, my wife said, hang on, you're covering a, an episode with Clara in it. And I went, yeah. And, she went, yeah. And, you've, and you've got a lady on the show. And I went, yeah. And she went, so I don't make it fucking weird. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I'm with you on Clara. I just, I love Clara. I mean, she, she's a very attractive lady, but I just love her because, oh, she, she's just for me. Like, oh, I don't want to go on about her, but she is just the best companion. And I think she gets a lot of hate online as well for some reason. Like, I found online when I've talked to people, not a lot of people do like Clara. I, I can kind of get that. And I think it's partially because, and I've, I've admitted on this show that I've, I've probably done her a disservice in the past. Um, because, and I think it's because it's it's almost with how quickly she seemed to get her feet under the table mm. and how quickly it was just, here's Clara, she's great, fucking love her, fans. Then again, with, with how she was introduced, she's all over his timeline, isn't she? She's everywhere. Yeah. She's yeah. the impossible girl. So I, I guess, <laughs> yeah. I'm you said timeline there because I was about to have a stroke. <laughs> 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 oh man, that first episode in the red dress. Oh, oh the Salem of the Dark. Yeah, that was. Oh, that's yeah, the um, Daleks. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, say you say about making it weird. Sharon's obviously never heard Sarah talk about Tory Wilson. Okay. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm completely gay for Tory Wilson, so that's that's a thing. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, yeah. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> um. I've completely lost where we are now. Uh, we were talking about Evil uh, Clara, and she's got her bo- motorbike, and I've never wanted to be a saddle so much in my life. Sharon, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I did it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, so we're back on the plane. Uh, the, the captive Zargon's you know, running his whole spiel about they want to they want the truth of who they are to be acknowledged and to live basically free live as Zygons rather than humans. Um and the doctor says you can't have the UK people there will think you're pinching the benefits. <laughs> Which I thought was a great <laughs> comment on British society. Yeah, that uh, made me chuckle. Yeah. And the captive Zygon says they're already there. The invasion's already taken place over the last year. They've won the first battle and now the war begins. And mm. we're back with the we're back with Kate and the sheriff. And say the sheriff saying there's hundreds more. Kate's trying to establish numbers and whatnot, and saying that um, somebody caught a, a glimpse of a zargon before a child that hadn't learned to preserve its body print and had been left alone to uh, to fend for himself. Word went around these primitives that we were monsters, and we find out that the sheriff's a fucking zargon as well. Yeah, see that, massive that one. See that one. I. I, I... I wouldn't say it's obvious, but to me, I thought straight away she's a Zygon, all the way through. Yeah, yeah, it's it's more obvious than Clara. Yeah, and also coming back to little things that make me sort of go, well, that's a bit silly. Why has Kate gone there on her own? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, they they have also said there's only so many soldiers. Ah, 
Yeah, but because they can't call him back up. And only so many agents. But yeah, I I can I can see where you're coming from. It does seem a bit silly that she's literally on her own. Yeah, and you can't technically. Yeah, you can't trust anybody because they they just look human. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah. Um, Bonnie calls um, New Mexico for for a status update. We see Zygon Cape, see units neutralising North America. Bonnie grabs a case from a weapons locker and taps at a keypad and informs whoever else that units neutralised in the UK and looks at the flight plan for the presidential plane. We see Bonnie on the cliffs of Dover. She got there fucking quick. Um, But then again, I suppose the plane's coming from... Eastern Europe, I'm assuming. So, you know, whatever. It's fine. It, it, they got there roughly the same time. And Bonnie calls the doctor. Um, the captain Zargon tells him to answer the phone and say goodbye, as this plane will never land. Um, the doctor puts Clara on speaker, says to get to the TARDIS, and we get the thing at the end line to this is, I'm sorry, but Clara is dead. Kate Stewart is dead. The unit troops are all dead. Truth or consequences. As Cla- as Bonnie fires a fucking bazooka. Yeah. <laughs> what an engine. How, how badass is that? And that is when the doctor died. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I still haven't made that into a t-shirt, to be fair. <laughs> well, is it because you don't want to give Rob the credit of having, having heard something he said on a t-shirt? <laughs> <laughs> no, that doesn't bother me. <laughs> Next next batch of t-shirts I make, well, I'll, I'll do that. That'll be the ne- that'll be the next one. Yeah. So, but uh, but a very good cliffhanger. Mm. It is brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, and we get a completely different opening to to episode two because we see Clara waking up in bed, confused, and just for a split second, the time on the clock's backwards. Mm. Which I thought was good because you know we've all done that sort of bleary eyed look at your phone mm. and clock and can't quite make it out. Blink, you know, you blink your eyes and oh yeah, okay, got it. Everything seems relatively normal in the hall and the kitchen, apart from the jaunty camera angle they're filming it at, which is a <laughs> nice a nice touch to to tell the audience that something's maybe not quite right. Mm. She goes to brush her teeth and on the tube it says this is toothpaste, <laughs> but it it's comes black. out yeah, black sludge. Yeah, I mean to be fair though, I've got this toothpaste that's supposed to be like whitening. That's black. Oh, is that the yeah, charcoal? Like charcoal. Yeah, charcoal. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. the Zygon who was on the plane and was saying to the doctor, "We want the world." He had very white teeth. To be fair, so perhaps, <laughs> the, perhaps the Zygons just use charcoal toothpaste. Not not big on skincare, really, but really up to date <laughs> with the dental. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> fair you know, choices were made, and I respect that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Clara hears the doctor calling for her she goes into the living room, the TV flickers and she hears the conversation that the doctor's having with Bonnie about her being dead and tries to leave but the door's blocked and we see her eyes flickering in the pod in the, in the real world as it were because she's in like the Zygon Matrix hmm. and what I really liked here is the music really sold the panic and the tension um, I don't know if either of you caught that yeah, the music all the way through these these two these two parts was great because sometimes we watch episodes and the music's been a bit a bit off. Hasn't it? I mean, especially with classic who, but yeah. this this was really well done. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. It helps build it, and uh, I, I liked this whole scene. It reminded me of um, what's the one? Is it Last Christmas, where she's kind of in a dream world and the the Doctor reaches her? Oh, um, are you on the blackboard. No, it's not like yeah, it is last Christmas. It's where 
she's taken over and she's like in a coma basically but the doctor also gets an alien on his face and goes in and tries to kind of free her i don't know it just reminded me of it because then she does a dream check as well and i'm sure that's what they do in that episode she does a dream check in the paper i don't remember that one that's aliens on the face yeah who was the doctor at that point capaldi Oh. Last Christmas, it had the the com- comedic guy as Santa. He played Santa. Oh yes, Nick Frost. Yeah, yeah, Nick Frost. It that's it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she she does. She gets the kind of a newspaper while she's in this kind of Zygon pod, whatever it is, and starts saying to herself, "Dream check, right? Do a dream check." Yeah, I love that. And that, yeah, that reminded me of that. That's all. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely right. And then she, yeah. like I said, the words on the paper all jumbled. It's a great giveaway. And yep. then she sees the bazooka um, sights on, on, on the TV. And she, you know, Bonnie missed with the first shot. So she reloads and Clara tilts the TV to throw off the aim. <laughs> yeah, and then she's, she's, and then she's mimicking the hand movement and holding and holding off, trying to hold off the trigger. She goes to bite her hand but the second shot goes off and blows mm. up the plane. And all I've got in my notes is, fucking hell, that was all action. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we're back into central London. There's a street sweeper cleaning up electric hairballs. Uh, a guy runs into him, dropping his shopping. You've got the, the Resistance logo, and uh, Bonnie's following him. This bloke who's clearly in, in, a, in some distress and fear gets into his flat, Bonnie just, I mean, I wouldn't be running away from, from evil Clara. Um, no, I wouldn't either. But he, <laughs> I mean, to be fair, this episode's fantastic because we've got normal Clara, we've got evil Clara, mm. and now we've got Clara in her gym jams. This doesn't get much better. <laughs> Triple Clara. <laughs> Triple Clara. I've had dreams like this. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've had dreams about about... Clara tra- tra- trapped in a flat. Yeah. <laughs> His flat. Yeah, that's it. And that's what I've got the restraining order. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, yeah. You, you need to need to adhere to that. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but Bonnie breaks him pretty easy. She knows what he is and, and they'll set him free. He, he just begs her not to because he knows what she's going to do. And Bonnie says humans can't accept the true form. So he's going to be the first to make them see. She zaps his forehead and force, basically forces him to shapeshift. Um, then essentially she's going to go to unit to retrieve the Osgood box. We're back in the dream. Clara sees the plane blow up, but she pauses the TV and two little specks can be seen. Hmm. Just, just to the left of the plane exploding. And it's Osgood and the Doctor. They've got parachutes and the Doctor, for some reason... As a fucking Union Jack. Oh, this was one of my favourite lines from the whole yeah. show. <laughs> go on then, so we'll, we'll go on. What, what, what does he say then? Tell well, us. He, he's asked by Osgood, why do you have a Union Jack parachute? And he's, <laughs> he basically says for camouflage. Camouflage. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're landing in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> I got, I got, um, Spy Love Me, James Bond, Roger Moore vibes as well from that because he had a Union yeah. Jack parachute in the yeah. scene of that film and that, yeah. But yeah, that's it's a it's a funny explanation. Um, Osgood's broken her glasses, and again we get another great line from Capaldi. He gives mm-hmm. her the sonic specs, and she says, "Isn't that a bit pointless, like a visual hearing aid?" And he says, "What's wrong with pointless? I once invented an invisible watch. Spot the design flaw." <laughs> <laughs> and 
And this is where Osgood, she won't be thrown off. She says, you're talking nonsense to keep me from being too scared. It's one of your known character traits. Yeah. She's just calling him out. And he says, don't look don't look at my browser history. And she all you is, whoa. <laughs> and he says, I said, don't. Yeah, and he then goes, yeah, I know. <laughs> I said, don't. <laughs> just completely owns it, doesn't care. Yeah. <laughs> he just says, I'm 2,000 years old. I'm into what I'm into. I don't care. <laughs> um. Osgood's asked, you know, they're speculating why Bonnie tried to blow him up, and Osgood says it's the first thing she'd do invading Earth is to kill him, and he, he thanks. <laughs> and she says she wouldn't, I wouldn't even let him get talking. I wouldn't even let you get talking. Bullet between the eyes, first thing, twelve times if necessary. <laughs> and the doctor just stops. It's like you've thought this through. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, well, I'm a big fan. <laughs> And the sort of clock that Bonnie hesitated and obviously missed with the first shot. Um, and she says if, you know, if she has Clara's memory print, she'd know better than to give him a second chance. And mm. he goes quiet and she, she clocks it and says, you've gone, gone quiet because I mentioned Clara. And he says, mm. I'm, still in the, I'm still in the hope phase at the moment and it's hell. Because he's still holding out hope that Clara's alive, but he knows that if she's dead, that he's going to be devastated. Yeah. Which, again, I thought was a really great insight into this version of the Doctor. And again, that relationship yeah. between the two, isn't it? It's, it yeah. yeah. It, it, the Doctor's had companions die before, or companions he's lost, so to speak. And, okay, he's mourned for them, or there's been, you know, the, the sort of relevant reaction, I suppose. But this is this is different, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, this is like life-altering. And you guys have obviously, I think Dan mentioned, you've done the events of heaven sent and how long he was there. And then when he finally admitted that to Clara, but you know, how long he's been there, she was like, why would you do that? And yeah. that's just the lens he would go to. That's what he would do. <laughs> what was it? 14 billion years. Oh my God. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> All told. Yeah. So yeah, you, yeah, you can see why now. And, um, we get a shot of Bonnie walking, but Clara's taking control of her hand to text. Yeah, this was, was really clever. clever. Yeah. yeah. Like, the, basically, the, um, the, there's a bit later on where Bonnie's interrogating Clara in the pod, and she's saying, this works both ways. You know, Clara's smart enough yep. and, and experienced enough to know that she can at least try and influence. See that there? You talk, say about talking to Clara in the pod. There were certain moments of, the, of that that I thought were absolutely brilliantly done because she's coming through the television in Clara's side, isn't she? Mm. Mm. So clever because it's just a sim. It's a simple thing, but it means they can almost they can film one side and then film the other side and just sort of splice them together and so mm. on. But it's but so it, effective. It yeah. also gives it also gives Clara, it gives Jenna Coleman, the ability to film Bonnie's bits first. Mm-hmm. And then they can just play them on the TV and have a react to it, and it's effectively yes. have a conversation with herself. So it's really yeah. clever from an from an execution standpoint as well as a a narrative standpoint. Yes, yeah. it's it's really yeah. good. Yeah, um, we're back with the Doctor and Osgood. Uh, the same uh, recapping about the the Splinter Group. You know, they don't they don't care saying that they don't care about humans and think the rest of Zargon are uh, uh, traitors. And they get a text from Clara saying, "I'm awake." The doctor speculates, is it a, a political awakening? Why are you sending me propaganda after you've blown me up? You know, <laughs> which is a valid question. 
And, it, and it's Osgood that realised that it's Clara alive and in the pod and fighting back. And then, you know, the, it's just a theory, but how's the hope phase now? And he says it's worse. <laughs> <laughs> because he's now more hopeful. Yeah. So it's a bigger letdown if something's wrong, yeah. isn't it, I guess? And yeah. the next thing we see is Bonnie going into the unit base. Now, did you guys clock what happened here? When she walked past the mirror? Yeah. Yeah, you had the reflection of Jenna Coleman as um, Pajama wow. Clara. Yeah. Pajama Clara. <laughs> <laughs> Pajama Rama. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought that was brilliant because, you know, she does a double take, goes back and sees herself and... Yeah, just brilliant. It's also a, a slightly horror movie-esque, which I always love. Mm. Yeah, that's always very much my thing. Um, Bonnie gets a, a laptop from a safe, and there's a video of the Osgoods saying that if she's watching this, one of them has been captured and interrogated, revealing this safe combination and the Osgood box location. But she lied. Brilliant. <laughs> and just says to stop looking and that the Osgood box can end ceasefire or start the war or end humankind and there's a good reason it's called the Osgood box and mm-hmm. just sort of taunting and saying haven't you guessed and Bonnie has a massive tansy and smashes the laptop <laughs> so we get angry Clara as well angry Clara's hot too <laughs> let, let me get let me guess let me guess sir. she can smash your laptop any day well I I haven't got the money to replace it, but <laughs> she does. Yeah, fair point. Yeah. I could be a capped man, couldn't I? She could just look after me. Mm. You'd, you'd end up in a gimp. Oh, the adventures of Clara and Gimpy Sigh. <laughs> Gimpy Sigh. <Simply. laughs> Oh, God. Um, we're back with the doctor and Osgood. Uh, he runs up to the police car and introduces himself as Dr. John Disco, <laughs> say, saying that it was his plane that blew up and the cops just stare at him. And it's yeah. something which you would, but then he carries on and they just keep staring and the doctor's just like, and you're probably Zygons. Does so he we'll not just... say, I, I had a big plane for the purposes of punting about? <laughs> Yes. yes. <laughs> I enjoyed that. <laughs> I love it. They need, to, they need to use poncing about a bit more often. Um, yep. I like that. And as they're sort of trying to get away from these these uh, Saigon policemen, and we actually see the, the police car in the background starting to move to come after them, which I thought was quite good, but raises its own problem because he, he has a call with Bonnie and then they get in a van and the, the Zygons in the police car do nothing. Mm. They're just quite happy for the doctor to go back to wherever he wants to go to. But anyway, the, this call that the doctor has with Bonnie, and she, she answers the phone with, you're dead. <laughs> and, he's, and he says, yes, I am, and I think I might be a bit more dead in a minute as the cop car <laughs> goes after him. And he starts calling her Zygella. That's because brilliant. That's what you want it, it, with the leader of a dangerous splinter group that wants to take over the world is to provoke them with a name that they don't like. <laughs> and he get, you know, he asks what a plan is. She says she doesn't have one. And this is what it's such a cheat. It's almost a dad joke. Love it. It's like you don't invade a planet without a plan. That's why they're called that to remind you to plan it. <laughs> and then oh. what does he call himself, Dan? <laughs> 
Um, I don't think I've got it written down. He calls himself uh, Dr. Puntastic. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so all, this is all right at my street. Proper cheesy, crappy dad yep. jokes. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> and, but while they're talking, the, the FaceTime, and Bonnie starts winking at him. Mm. Um, and the doctor has a field day with that. Um, you know, saying, "Do you know what winking is?" You know, like you could, you're trying to come on to me. And then she, this is really just—it's just like physical comedy where Bonnie's trying to cover one eye and stop it happening. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> yeah, and um, the doctor say—he's saying, "You know, where are you? Where's your pod? Is it? In, is it in London? You know, is it in a tunnel? Are you underground?" And that's enough work. That's enough for him to work with. And mm-hmm. he says to Clara, "Don't let Bonnie into your memories for the location of the Osgood box," which is immediately called out as soon as they nick the van. Um, yeah. Oh, that was sorry. I missed. I missed a one liner from Capaldi when she's winking at him. He says, "I'm old enough to be your messiah." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, also, we also didn't mention the. Um... The moment where uh, Bonnie is looking for the Osgood box and opens the safe, and there's a picture of William Hartnell's doctor. Yeah, there is. Yes, there was. That, that's great. Yeah, yeah, love anything like that because I think in um, in one of the other episodes where units involved, maybe not Capaldi era, I can't quite remember, but I'm sure they have a they have a picture of Patrick Troughton as well <laughs> somewhere in the background, which I did love. Um, but the doctor's driving. Osgood does what I was do- <laughs> says what I was thinking and says, Bonnie could hear that, so she's going to go poking around in Clara's mind for answers. And the doctor says, the mind of Clara Osbot, Oswald, she may never find a way out. Mm. And he smiles, and Osgood says, I've never seen you smile before. And he just goes dazzling, isn't it? <laughs> just grins. <Yeah. laughs> He's been using his charcoal toothpaste. He, he's, and he smiles like a maniac as well. Like, what are you saying? Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> um, but they get a, a ping from a, a Clara's phone and, and a shopping centre in London, and there's, somebody's sent the video of, uh, of the Zygon changing and running through, uh, you know, running through London to, um, to the news. So it's all over because uh, obviously the, the Zygon that Bonnie turned before ended up trying to run away and hide and it didn't go very well. No. Um, yeah. Um, Bonnie's in the tunnels. She goes up to Clara's pod, taps on the front of it and appears on the TV, as we've said before, which is a great visual. And she's trying to probe Clara's mind. Clara's fighting back, forces Bonnie to change into a Zygon, mm. which I thought was pretty cool. Um, and you know, Bonnie's saying she wants the memories. Clara is just, she's just too clever, it's brilliant. She mm. points out that you're asking for them, so you can't access them. So why would I tell you? Yeah, yeah there's there's so much of this that I think is very clever. But that thing there, the whole uh taking the pulse to see if she's lying. There's so many mm. it, it's it's a proper battle of wits between the two. And they're both equally as clever as each other. There's so many little moments here that I think are just so, so smart and well-written. Yeah, and, and you've sort of summed it up really well there, Sarah, because Clara calls Bonnie's bluff set about threatening to kill her. Um, and Bonnie says, you can't lie to me in the suit because the heartbeats are in sync. And the increases, how Clara's heartbeat increases at that realisation. So we know mm. what the what the sort of game is. Um and again, they leave it at a great point. They leave it at a point where you're invested 
and we're back to the Doctor and Osgood. We're still jumping around uh, the various stories as they're sort of trying you know, ever so slowly converging on each other. Yeah. Without losing the pacing still. And the Doctor pulls up and thinks, thinks what I've thought every time I get to London, London, what a dump. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And Osgood saying, London's okay. And he says, no, it's not. It's a dump. <laughs> you spend an awful lot of time here considering it's a dump. And he says, I spend an awful lot of time being kidnapped, tortured, shot at and exterminated. Doesn't mean I like it. It's just a fair point, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. And they walk into the shopping centre. They can feel electricity in the air. And Osgood remarks that it smells like barbecue and there's more electric hairballs on the floor. Yeah. See, I think this here, this is one of my favourite scenes of the, of the whole two-parter. The interaction yeah. between Osgood, the Doctor, and the, the, the Zygon man, I've kind mm. of put, put in my notes. Because it's quite sad. You really feel for this this character. Mm. And there's a few lines, I'm going to paraphrase a little, but there's a few lines that they put out there. And again, it comes back to that kind of, I suppose minority terrorist group ruining it for everyone else and so on mm. that, that sits so well in real in real life because the Zygon man is saying you know I don't I don't want this fight I don't want to be part of this fight I just want mm. to live here yeah. and it's just it, it's yeah. so powerful because I suppose in a way this is one of the moments that's not as subtle as the rest of the the hints they're making because it is a little bit more you know holding a mirror up to society and certain aspects of it Mm. But I didn't mind that it was less subtle because it was so yeah. powerful and so well done. Yeah, the, this whole thing, was we've skipped ahead a bit, but I do not mind at all. Because mm. you're right, he says, this bloke says, I, I was happy here, I just wanted to live. He thinks that uh, the Doctor and, and Osgood are part of the part of the resistance, the rebellion, whatever you want to call it. And you, you quite rightly say he's not part of the fight. He didn't want to fight anyone. Just wanted to live, and and they say they say we're on your side, and he says no one's on my side, and I can't go back now. Mm. My life's been taken from me, and they'll kill me. So he kills himself, and it it kind of shows that there isn't two sides in a war. There are three. Mm. There's the two armies, or well, four even. There's the two armies fighting, and then there's the civilians on each side. Who just yeah. want to go about the business? Yeah, and and they are the majority, really. He's yeah. the majority. They don't want that fight. They just want to live in peace. He's happy where he is. It's really sad. It really is. Yeah, and and this this comes after we've had the entire interrogation or most of the interrogation scene between Bonnie and Clara, mm. which yeah. has pointed Bonnie towards the Black Archive. Um, she can get in there because it's key to a body print. There was a great thing about Clara saying, I can't give you the access code. Yeah, that was good. Because she's already given it. And, you know, what's in the Osgood box? And it's like, it ends the ceasefire. You know, that's all she says. Mm. It either unmasks every Zygon for up to an hour, mass panic leading to war. And there's a line in there, which is relevant to the, the, the bloke we saw you the civilian Zygon who just killed himself. Because Clara says 20, uh, 20 million Zygons versus 7 billion humans billion. isn't a war you can win. And Bonnie says, then we will die in the fire instead of living in chains. And that level of, of that level of zeal and 
complete belief and absolute certainty is so dangerous. And again, I suppose it, it's another touch towards what they've been hinting at all the way through, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Because you do get people who behave that way with regards to their, uh, should we say religious beliefs? I'm trying to tiptoe around this very carefully because I don't want to offend anyone by wording something incorrectly, but you do get mm. those who, who have these kind of, these beliefs that are so the extremist side of things and mm. they would, they are the same way. You, know, you look at say, for example, uh, suicide bombers uh, and people like that, they have that kind of, that kind of mindset as well. When you, when you hear you know, that they then talking or they uncover stuff on the, in the chat rooms they've been discussing and so on, they mm. will, they will die for their cause or they will die trying at least. And it's kind of, to me, that's kind of what I got from that. Yeah, that, and that's exactly yeah. what I think you're supposed to, um, because that anybody with, you know, I mean, you, Christ, you, you could take it all the way back to, you know, to the Crusades and things like that. You know, hundreds of years. It's it's all every almost every single war in history has been fought by people on both sides who were adamant they were right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, no, obviously there's a lot more subtlety to that and and it doesn't necessarily cover cover things like, you know, invasion and, and defending your homeland and, and whatever. But the, often the lines can be blurred. And uh, yeah, again, it's all, like you say, Si, you word it perfectly, holding a mirror up to society. Yeah, it is. And it, again, it's it's done so clever. It's done very cleverly because I think, again, I'll come back to Charlie she i don't think would get the reality of that what mm. as in the real life implications in what they're saying yeah. she would at this age take it as a character saying something on television mm. so i think it's done well in that people of a certain age who are kind of be becoming aware or are already aware of how certain aspects of the real world world are will pick up on it but the younger viewers it's almost like it's not opening their eyes to some of the potential evil that is in this world. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I don't think it was too in your face at mm. all. Um, and like you said, I, I didn't mind it really because it was, it was factual. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Very good. It is just brilliant. And, and even amidst all of this, we've had uh, the doctor and Osgood you know, talking to each other again. And the she asks that, um, the doctor asks Osgood a first name. She turns the question on him, and he says, "The doctor says his first name is Basil." <laughs> and and Osgood says, "Osgood's legit first name is Petronella." And mm. The doctor says, "Let's just stick to surnames." Oh, <laughs> I like but, Petronella. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not the worst one. Uh, you could call a petrol for short. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but after all this and after after the, the civilian Zygon takes his own life the doctor twigs that Bonnie wants to unmask all the Zygons and provoke war and yes. Kate, Kate arrives with two soldiers having been sent by Bonnie to kill the doctor um, to bring him to the Zygon command and Clara's pod um, meanwhile Bonnie has got Clara's pod and two soldiers in the Black Archive Kate gets to the tunnels with the Doctor and Osgood. They find a gap where the pod used to be. Osgood twigs at their Zygons. And all the while this is going on, Bonnie finds the the room with the, the Osgood box. Mm. And we find out why it's called the Osgood box. There's two of them. And the Doctor just goes, Operation Double, what do you expect? 
Yeah. <laughs> I didn't see that coming. <laughs> it's brilliant though, isn't it? It's so obvious. Yeah. It's hidden yeah. in plain sight. I love it. <laughs> it's another great touch in this. Um, so, yes, we're going on from there. Uh, the Zygons are backing Doctor into a corner and Doctor's uh, threatening Clara's life and the Doctor says, no, this is war. You pull the trigger, you pay the price. Mm-hmm. And then he says, you know, the, the, uh, Bonnie orders Clara killed. Doctor says, it's the blue one. Bonnie asks if he's lying. He says, no, and says, when you open it, you see I'm not lying. And both boxes have the same buttons <laughs> labelled truth or consequences. Um. Bonnie orders the Doctor brought to her. The Zygon's closing on the Doctor. And Kate shoots them. Because Kate's not a Zygon. She's, not a, du- she's not a duplicate. A duplicate. <laughs> <laughs> You've been Jesus. sitting on that since we yeah. pressed record, haven't you? Oh, no, mate. I've been sitting on that since the 50th anniversary special that we covered in season one. Okay. Because I said it. Because I, because, <laughs> because I made the same joke um, then as well. Uh, nice. Okay. See, this one um, totally got me. I was yeah. I 100% bought into Kate being a Zygon. So this completely yeah. got me. <laughs> it's so good though, isn't it? You yes. never know who's a Zygon and who's not. And not even the Zygons know who's a Zygon. It's clever. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. And Kate actually apologises to the Doctor for killing them because explaining that it was self-deprensive and she knows the Doctor doesn't approve. Mm. And there's a flashback of Kate pumping five rounds into the other Zygon. And she's almost proud of herself. And Bonnie has another tantrum. And the Doctor just stays, just stands there and says, why does peacekeeping always involve killing? Great line. It's such, yeah, it is. It's, it's, so, it's so deep, but just in one sentence. Yeah, it really is. It's, it's just a moment when you go, shit, yeah. <laughs> you know, again, it holds, it makes you think it holds that mirror up to sight and you think about yourself and then everything else is... One sentence, really amazing, amazingly mm. written. Um, the Doctor catches Kate up with the plan. Kate wants the gas. The Doctor wants to negotiate peace peace before she commits mass murder. Fair. Mm. Um, the boxes are safeguards for both species, he says. And Kate denies agreeing with these measures. <laughs> but he reveals that he wiped her memory. Yeah. Uh, a number of times. A number yeah. of times. Yeah, <laughs> didn't you say it was like, oh, you have the last... I'm sure he said, oh, yeah, you have the last oh, we'll, 10 times or 15 we'll, times or whatever. We'll get there. We'll get there because yeah. guess what? I, I have transcribed the Ooh. entirety of the end of it. So if you need any lines, Brilliant. give it in full, I've got them. Damned your um, man. <laughs> I can't, I'm an obsessive note taker. I did 6,023 words. Uh, <laughs> I've, said, I've said it before on, on the show. Uh, but I'll say it again for this. Uh, I used to write articles that I'm very fortunate enough to have been paid for. And one of my proudest moments was actually paying a month's rent from the wow. money I made through writing. Mm-hmm. None of my articles had that many words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it was quality, not quantity, obviously. <laughs> yeah, that's it, mate. <laughs> um, yeah. um, so effectively, this is the moment now where everybody's in the black archive with these two boxes and the doctor's in there he's introducing himself and immediately calls for other boxes to be put away we'll forgive and forget and keep the ceasefire bonnie refuses and kate and bonnie position themselves in front of a box each asking which button to press and 
as good as the end of this episode is from here on, Capaldi's ac- American accent when he's pretending to be a game show host <laughs> does my tits in. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's giving it the whole, you know, this is the moment we've all been waiting for, make your mind up time. One button destroys the Zygons, release the imbeciles' gas. The other detonates the warhead under the Black Archive. It'll destroy everyone in London. So, Dan, did you twig on that as well, the imbeciles' gas? Um, wasn't imbecile something you used to call Harry? He used to say, Harry Sullivan, you imbecile, all the yeah. time. So when he's referring to it as the imbecile's gas, he's not co- he's not making like a, a, a big statement on it. He's literally naming the, the guy who created it. <laughs> I love it. So good. Um, and then saying he, he turns to Bonnie and he says, Bonnie, sweetheart, one of those buttons will unmask mm. every Zygon in the world. The other one cancels their ability to change form and will make <laughs> them human beings forever. And these are safeguards on the safeguards. And he says, I did this on a very important day for me and the ceasefire <laughs> will stand. Yes. Which is a wonderfully sort of <laughs> simple summation of what of what they achieved in uh, in the 50th anniversary. Yeah. And so are you guys happy for me to just waffle through this and jump in whenever I stop for breath? Honestly, yep. I think I think that <laughs> if I said no at this point, we probably wouldn't ever record again because I know that you've been twitching to do this since this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have I have I have been twitching like Marty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um there's a great now there's a great exchange between the doctor and Bonnie saying because Bonnie's saying this is wrong. And the doctor says, No, it's not. So, so like she tries to make out that he's responsible for the violence and the suffering. And the doctor's very just very simply, No, I'm not. And the, the, it's like kids going back and forth. And she says she says, You engineered this situation, Doctor. This is your fault. And the kind of going back and forth saying they both had, did what would have to be what they'd have to be done. And said so it boils down to Bonnie having a whinge and the doctor's going, so? So we've been treated like cattle, so what? We've been led, left to fend for ourselves, so is everyone. It's not fair. So, oh, it's not fair. Oh, I didn't realise it wasn't fair. And he just, he takes the piss. Did you, did you guys clock this? Yeah. He equates that he equates their perceived oppression to his TARDIS not working properly and not having his own personal table. <laughs> yeah, he was well sarcastic. Look Again, it. I think the I mean you mentioned the American accent as well. Uh, this gets really, really deep, doesn't it? This, this gets quite mm. quite heavy. If it was all this way, I think how how important what the doctor says here might mm. get lost because it'd be so much of the same tone. The fact that we're getting these funny little piss-taking sarcasm moments and the silly American accent—it's—it's—it's the—it's the night and day comparison, isn't it? It's the—it's—it's yeah. it's yeah. the aspect of the Doctor that then makes the the more serious, darker stuff mean even more because you have that direct yeah. comparison in the in in the same kind of dialogue. Yeah, yeah, I think you're spot on. Um... And he, he moves on from the piss-taking and, and immediately gets very sort of analytic. He, he analyzes them and, and, and Bonnie and, and sort of what they want and saying that you just want cruelty to beget cruelty. And he says, <laughs> this is one of the great lines. He says, You're not su- you are not superior to the people who are cruel to you. You're just a whole bunch of new cruel people. 
a whole bunch of new cruel people being cruel to some other people who will end up being cruel to you. Yep. And the only way that anyone can live in peace is if they're prepared to forgive. And I'm, I'm just, that is the first bit where I'm just like, wow. Yeah. It really <laughs> hits you, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it really does. And he's saying about breaking the cycle and, and Bonnie's saying, well, why should, you know, why should we? And it boils down to that she wants war. And the doctor said, well, what happens after that? And he takes a very long time to say, how is it going to be after the war? What's your dismount? What's your end game? You know, saying things like, you know, are you going to live in houses? Mm. Do you want people to go to work? Will there be holidays? Will there be music? <laughs> you know, and, he, and he's just like, oh, you don't actually know, do you? And he equates them to tantruming children. Well, I mean, we've already seen Bonnie have a couple of thrombies, haven't we? Oh. <laughs> and he says, you don't actually know what you want. And he asks the question that after they've killed the bad guys and it's all perfect and just and fair, what are you going to do with people like you, the oh. troublemakers? How are you going to protect your glorious revolution from the next one? And she just says she'll, and she just says we'll win. And the and he, he comes back with maybe you will, but nobody wins for long. The wheel just keeps turning. It's it's basically she, Bonnie, and those those people in that sort of uh, extremist group, for want of a better term, by overthrowing the the power and getting what they want, they inevitably become effectively what they hate. And it's that constant cycle back and forth, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. they, they know what they want short term. They don't know what they want at all long term. Yeah, and it, it's the doctor trying to get Bonnie to, yeah. to realise there's no dismount and then winning the war isn't the ultimate goal. You have to think about what happens after. You don't get to just mm. put your feet up. You know, after that, there is still work to be done. And it's maybe not something that ultimately you're prepared to do or want to do or, or can do. It's trying to sow the seeds of doubt and get them to consider a peace, you know, a more peaceable solution. And he's, that's what he says. He's trying to get to, to sort of drive towards that. And Bonnie sort of doubles down and says, just, you know what I see doctor a box with everything I need a 50% chance. And Kate just sort of quite sinisterly says for us too. And that's when the American accent's back because he yeah. realises it's getting a bit tense and he's losing them, which I think is a brilliant twist because you you so rightly said, Si, you need the bit of piss-taking and the American accent and the silliness to add a bit of levity to the situation and to ultimately make the big speech within this whole brilliant exchange that much more powerful. Yeah, I, I liken it to certain types of music. I mean, the bands like Nirvana did it so well that the heavy portions sound extra heavy because you have lighter verses or slower moments. And mm. it's it's literally that comparison aspect in direct competition with itself. You know, if this if the American accent and so on was done 10 minutes earlier, it wouldn't be relevant to what he's saying now. So it's that direct comparison in the same passage of dialogue in a similar way that you know, a five-minute song by certain bands can start off slow hmm. and then get heavy. The heavier side sounds heavier because of the slow side at the beginning, yeah. if, if I've explained that properly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it makes perfect sense. Um, and he, he goes through, you know, fingers, if fingers on buzzers, are you feeling lucky? Who's going to be quickest? Who's going to be luckiest? And Kate Stewart 
looks disgusting with it. <laughs> yeah. And he is saying it's not a game. And he's still got the American accent on that. He just starts to drop and he says, no, it's not a game. And, uh, you know, I mean that most sincerely. He says, why are you doing this? They're both asking, why is he doing mm. this? And why did he set it up? And he says, because it's not a game. It's a scale model of war. And I'm going to read verbatim here because it's, it's brilliant. And every time a Capaldi, I hear Capaldi do it, this is the start of the goosebumps for me. Yeah. It says, every war ever fought right there in front of you. Because it's always the same. When you fire that first shot, no matter how right you feel, you have no idea who's going to die. You don't know whose children are going to scream and burn. How many hearts will be broken? How many lives shattered? How much blood will spill until everybody does what they were always going to have to do from the very beginning? Sit down and talk. And that's when he has this exasperated sign starts rubbing his face. And he's just pleading with them both, particularly with Bonnie, begging her to listen and to think. Because do you know what thinking is? It's just a fancy word for changing your mind. And he's got tears in his eyes as he's begging for peace. Yeah. And I'm, I'm getting a little shiver just thinking about it well, now. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. Mm. It's fantastically written, but I think the performance is just yeah. on a different level, isn't it? Yeah. It really... This is Capaldi's finest hour for me. Yeah. Without a shadow of a doubt. Um, I would agree with that. Yeah. And and Bonnie refuses to change her mind, and he he comes back with it. This is then you will die stupid. And they have a whole exchange where where he said you could just walk away, and she says no, I've I've started this, I can't stop. Do you think you'll let me go after what I've done? And he gets a bit contemptuous at this point. So oh, you're you're all the same, you screaming kids. Look at me, I'm unforgivable. And he says, well, here's the unforeseeable. I forgive you. And then it dissolves, it devolves into like a teenager saying, so you don't understand. Mm. And this is where Capaldi, this is where the second pick comes in, which is another masterclass from Capaldi, where he says, of course I understand. You call this a war, this funny little thing? This isn't a war. I fought in a bigger war than you will ever know. I did worse things than you can ever imagine. And when I close my eyes... I hear more screams than anyone could ever be able to count. And you know what you do with all that pain? Shall I tell you where you put it? You hold it tight till it burns your hand and you say this. No one else will ever have to live like this. No one else will ever have to feel this pain. Not on my watch. Which, again, I'm goosebumps all down my arms just reading it and I'm, so I'm, 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 I'm nowhere near to obviously to Capaldi's delivery I'm not trying to be um, just yes I could watching this back and those two bits and just how did you how did you feel watching it like and then hearing all that back well it, it it's two things really stand out for me the first one is how powerful this message is because it's not just for this particular scene or this particular tv show this is almost like a message to world leaders this is a message to um to, to reality away from the the fiction of the story we're watching and the second thing was it's something that we get we get quite a lot in new who and i think talent did it fantastic as well it's the tortured soul of the doctor it's what mm. is what it the doctor what the doctor is in new who 
with regards to the time war and he's a person just constantly in pain and i think we get all of that in this speech i think it really hits home how how tortured his soul is over what has happened to him in the past mm. so i think uh, on a reality level on a, on a real life away from away from the the tv show level it's incredibly powerful but then when you're looking at it just from the aspect of the character and the story it's even more so in a way because this guy this this alien <laughs> who spent so long on his own uh, has had to deal with so much it, again it, i i I'll probably use the phrase too much but it's that whole tortured soul aspect of the character isn't it mm. Hmm. Yeah, it, it, it's it's so multi-level. Like you say, from from being a message to the world to to fitting in with the character, it's just a masterclass. Um, I, I don't know if you Fantastic. had any more to add there, Sarah. Uh, not really. I mean, I love how Capaldi can go from like we mentioned this kind of sarcastic, piss-taking American voice to being so deep. And delivering that kind of powerful message, it, I think that's brilliant. Um, other than that, yeah, it's just it's just so logical as well. It's like, why can't it, it, it's something that should be just be thought about, even though it's just in an episode of a science fiction series. It, it's it seems like something that people should think more about. Yeah, absolutely. In today's world, because <laughs> yeah, it's that line again that. But every war ends the same. People sit down yeah. around the table and talk. Yeah, so why don't you just cut out the bit at the beginning, like you said, where you don't know who's going to actually die? Cut, cut out the death and the horror. Yeah. And, and, and the just shit. talk. <laughs> yeah, it's it's unreal. And there's a, there's a, almost a tender moment where Kate's the first one to close the box. Mm. And the doctor's so relieved he says, thank you. And she just looks at him and says, I'm sorry. And he says, I know, I know, thank you. And you feel like he almost wants to just go and hug her. Mm, yeah. Um, and there's a real tense stare down with Bonnie. And Bonnie says, it's empty, isn't it? Mm. Both boxes, there's nothing in them, just buttons. And the doc he, he goes from this weird mix of tension and relief to looking proud. Mm. And he says, do you know you know that? It's because you start to think <laughs> like me. It's hell, isn't it? <laughs> you know, no one should have to think like that. And he just uh, he just gives a little, little gotcha, and it's it's just a great end to that that bit. I absolutely bloody love it. Mm. It, it is it's it's fantastic. It's so cleverly done, and the reveal as well of there's nothing in the boxes. Yeah, it's literally just a tool to get people to speak, get people in the same yeah. room, get people conversing, and yeah, uh, Sarah, you're absolutely spot on as well. Why don't they? Why don't people just do this at the beginning, rather yeah, than and just just yeah? It, it just seems so logical when you think about it. And I, I liked the bit there as well. Um, kind of like he had a tell because he knows that face. Like you saw her, uh, Bonnie. That is mm. kind of going to Clara a little bit, and he said, "Oh, you're at a disadvantage, Zagella, because I know that face." Yeah. yeah. So. And also, what? What a fine time to be insulting her after he's just changed her mind. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get to the, the point that, that Sarah referenced before when Kate points out that they know the boxes are empty now and they can't forget it. And the uh -huh. box says, Oh, you've said that the last 15 times. Yes. Um, 
he sets off the memory wipe that we were introduced in the 50th anniversary. They put Kate back in, in her office. But he didn't wipe Bonnie's memory, just Kate's and the guards. And she's a little bit bemused at, at the protection. And Osgood points out that Bonnie's one of them now, whether she mm-hmm. likes it or not. And she doesn't understand the forgiveness. No. And the doctor says he's been where she was with another box and was going to press another button and wipe out his own kind. And he was so sure that he was right. And what happened to her happened to him. He let Clara Oswald get inside his head. And trust me, she doesn't leave. (laughs) (laughs) She's never out of my head, mate. I'll tell you that. (laughs) Both of them. (laughs) (laughs) on the topic of wiping Um, the memory and 15 times and so on obviously you know i I love this i I love this story this is fantastic and sarah thank you so much for putting this forward to the show because i've had a fantastic time re-watching it and then discussing Mm, it with you two same but that there it's happened 15 times 15 times they have been close to the shit hit in the fan and loads of people dying Maybe after three or four, come up with a different plan, a different method. Yeah, but if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, yeah, I suppose. I suppose if it all works out for the best, but it seems like a big thing to go through every time. Yeah, that was more my point, yeah. But there's also, this is also the only way to get the leader of the resistance to to cut the head off the snake, as it were. Yeah, Yeah, I guess. And to get both sides to see, and as we find out just after this, it has an added advantage as well, because we're down in Osgood. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> while the you know while the the Zygons are stood down, um, the Doctor and Clara, after all this, get to the TARDIS. Osgood asks what it stands for. She said <laughs> a couple of different versions, yeah. and the Doctor the Doctor says it stands for totally and radical driving in space. <laughs> Great. Why not? And he asks her if she wants to, <laughs> and she asks her if she, if she wants to go with him. And he offers her all future, all the future, all the history, and all the universe. But and she, you can see she really considers it. But she's got some boxes to keep an eye on and a will to keep safe. Mm. And they just sort of say, "Fair enough." Um, Clara, he says to Clara, "You know, can you meet me in the TARDIS?" Just busy, you know, fuck off for a minute. Um, <laughs> she hugs Osgood, and uh, Osgood asks her to keep the doctor safe and don't let him die. And Clara says, What if he's really annoying? <laughs> and Osgood goes, Yeah, fine. <laughs> See, um, Osgood being invited along as well. Sorry, Dan, before we get to the yeah. end. Osgood being invited along. I really wish we'd seen more of her. There's certain side characters yeah. that you know we, we've discussed on the show and said we should see more of this person well i mean it was frank skinner's character was fantastic mm. uh the, the 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 girl in the gas mask episode i can't remember yeah. her name dan sorry um, uh, nancy that's the one nancy i knew you'd have it she's fantastic but we agreed eventually that maybe that's the, the story arc was, was enough with her they couldn't really have done much more but mm. there's certain characters i think i'd love to see more of and osgood really ticks that box yeah yeah, she really does. Because um, she's she's intelligent. She's you know she's a fighter. She's she, she's a ready made companion. She really is. She's yeah, I, I would know. love to see her as a as a companion. What maybe, what maybe what we need is Frank Skinner to come back to take the Doctor up on his mechanic offer, <laughs> and Osgood to go along with him as well. Maybe we need both. Yes. Yeah. 
That'd be good to see. I won't mind that. And Bradley, Wal- and Bradley Walsh just for the hell of it. Yeah. You could also an interesting sort of story arc or moments as well, I suppose, just sort of off the top of my head. Osgood has got the doctor up on this pedestal. He is her hero. We know there are moments from watching every episode and, and so on, all the different stories, where the doctor behaves in ways that he's ashamed of. Mm. And you could have an interesting dynamic there with you know, the mm. whole adage, never meet your heroes kind of thing. Perhaps yeah. Osgood's. Uh, you know, being around the Doctor more full time would almost burst bubbles for her with certain aspects of his character. I, I don't know. Again, it's just you know coming off the top. There'd of the be a great sort of story to tell and conflict within Osgood within herself of her logical side, her intelligent side, knowing that the Doctor has flaws and having all this extensive research on the Doctor, mm-hmm. but then seeing it in action and having that sort of that emotion versus logic. Hmm. Con- conflict yeah that'd be, that'd be brilliant to see and you know just seeing that almost moral dilemma if you like or like you say just you know the, the hero bubble bursting hmm. yeah and the thing is i just with the 60th coming up i'd love to see osgood <laughs> uh, return yeah. with with tenant yeah that would be interesting yeah i think that'd be great um but we're already getting the best companion back in the 60th because because uh, wolf's coming back yeah. This is true. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I've said it before and I'm going to keep saying it. I will cry. <laughs> oh. I love that. I love Wilfred. I you love Will. Know. I love Will. He's, he's a dude, isn't he? So um, I, I, I appreciate him much more now than when we first spoke, Dan, because m- my memory of that sort of time is quite patchy. I don't know if I missed episodes or I didn't watch all mm-hmm. of them back when they aired or whatever. But again, I'm doing this watch back with Charlie. I'm really <laughs> appreciating like the way they met and the way mm. he's popping up and, and the actual character himself. Yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, yeah, I've made my feelings on Wilfred Martin known uh, on this <laughs> podcast before. So I don't need to go over that because we've still got a little bit of episode to go through. Um, yes. Because as Clara buggers off, the doctor asks Osgood, is she human or Zygon? Mm. She says she'll answer that question one day when, and says, Do you know what that day will be in a second Osgood turns up. This is when nobody cares about the answer. Yeah. Gotcha. Good answer. Yep. Yeah, they have, but they have, a, they have a bit of fun at the doctor's expense. And he's going, oh, look at his face. It's almost not fair. <laughs> and, he's, and he says, think it through, doctor. It wouldn't be right using Clara's face where when there's a vacancy. Yeah. And he calls us Igella again. And she says, no, Osgood. It's like, but which one? And they both just say Osgood. And they say, all that matters is that Osgood lives. And uh, the doctor says to, to the both, says, you're a credit to your species, Petronella Osgood. He said, oh. uh, they come back with no basil. We're a credit to both of them. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the doctor gets in the TARDIS. Um, Clara asks how he felt about thinking she was dead. He says it was the longest month of his life. And she says, it must have only been about five minutes. And he says that he'll be the judge of time. And the fly off, which says a lot without directly saying anything. Mm. she's saying that five minutes felt like a month yeah. thinking she was dead and he's again just solidifies that relationship and then the two Osgoods decide to go for ice cream then back to work defending the earth there was a moment here though that I thought was absolutely fantastic because the whole way through the doctor's been asking you know Zygon human which one are you in I think it was the, it must have been the 50th there was a moment where they told could tell which 
they could tell that the the Zygon was the Zygon because of the inhaler. Mm. Ah. Here, the last yeah. thing they did, both used the inhaler together. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was a lovely little touch. Yeah. It was a wonderful callback. Yeah, and it's just another yet another touch in a fantastic two-parter. Yeah, it's so good. It is so good. Yeah, I so, suppose that uh, sort of Sorry, go on, Dan. No, I was just going to ask. Uh, I was just going to ask Sarah, as the the resident Capaldi uh, Capaldi fan, with with Capaldi being your doctor. Mm. Where do these episodes rank for you in terms of Capaldi's run? Uh, I'm assuming <laughs> they're up they're up there amongst the best. But yeah, how I'm trying to think now. A lot of episodes came to mind when you said which ones do you want to do. I mean, I even thought about doing um, Hellbent. I know that gets a lot. Uh, not very good praise online, but I actually, I actually quite liked Hellbent. Um, but no, these two, I think, are up there. I think the Monks trilogy is also up there because that was, that was amazing. I mm. love uh, Mummy on the Orient Express. Which we've covered which and think, we love Yeah, well. which we've covered, yep. Yeah. Um, I'm struggling to think of... I like... I've got a soft spot for time, time Heist. Yeah, that time heist is it's okay. I don't think I don't think I'd be up there up there, but I liked mm. is it listen? Yes. I liked listen a lot. Um and oh was it oh, was it Capaldi with um for Sleep No More? Yeah, I think that's the episode after um inversion actually. Sleep No More. Yes. Um, I liked the Christmas episode that I mentioned earlier, the um last Christmas. I thought that was with Nick Frost. I thought that was fairly mm. interesting. Um, so, so but there, yeah, then. I think these two are up there. I think possibly it one and two, right? just because the the performance, the message it has, and just how entertaining it actually is as well. Um, and like you said right at the beginning of this podcast, it follows on from that fiftieth anniversary. So it's following on from a different Doctor. We've had a little bit of you know adventure with Capaldi, and now we're going back to it. It just makes it that bit more interesting as well. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said there. Um, and I'm pretty sure side us too. So I don't know, I think, do, do we give the guest the final word? Yes, of course. Well, we need to plug our socials, mate. Always working, always well, producing. Don't give me the final word. I have very little to say. Don't give me a final word. No, you, no I mean, I mean you, you, summed it, you summed it up so well, I can't think of anything else I'd add to it. That's all. Oh, right. Okay. Well, I'm happy for that to be my final word then. That's fine. I don't have any further final words. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that, 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 that did not go as smoothly as I envisioned it. Sorry, so I, I, Like I said, I'm a complete professional. I'll, I'll, I'll cut it all up in post-production, Thanks. mate. It'll, it'll spend fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> and we got through most of it without a penis joke. We, I don't think we made a single cock joke this week. No. We had the nonce, we had the nonce comments at the start, though. We did, we did. And I'll tell you what, not making, you know, knob jokes when there's three different versions of Clara on an episode, that mm. took a lot of restraint from me. Do you reckon Peter Capaldi's doctor's pubes look like his hair? Possibly. I kind of think the doctor, because he's like, you know, time traveller, got all the Gallifrey and, you know, regeneration energy going on and all that. I reckon now maybe their pubes look like the flashing electrical stuff that happens when the Zygons get killed. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I thought you were going to say like one of those like uh, fiber optic light things you used to get in the early 2000s. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
perhaps they're um they're perhaps they're ginger. It always amused me when Tennant was really annoyed because he's still not ginger. Yeah. That was Matt Smith as well. Yeah, still. Not oh, ginger. is it? Yeah. yeah, still not ginger. We need a ginger doctor. Yeah. We do. We do. Anyway, I tried. In, I tried my best to engineer some penis jokes, folks. But I guess we'd get better. Get to plug in the socials, haven't we? Mm. Uh, we had indeed. Go on then, so I take it away, because you're always so good at this. Well, I don't know about that, mate. I've just got too many to mention. The best thing you can do with regards to, I suppose, myself, this show, and numerous other shows, is to follow the network itself. And that's at SJP World Media on Facebook and Twitter. There's a page on Facebook. There's a group, all this sort of great stuff. And all the shows that are on the network go through the main feed which you can find via those social media links so that will include coverage of wrestling some nostalgia some modern day and so on of all the brilliant hosts that do that for us on the network we have a podcast looking at quantum leap if time travel is your thing so check that one out as well that's called the waiting room we have people looking at tv movies music all sorts there's so much there it it, it takes too long for me to list now there's so much on the network so <laughs> at sjp world media on facebook and twitter and make sure as well you have subscribed to the network and the podcasts and so on on whatever podcast player it is you use and leave us a big fat five star review because it helps us out a huge amount even if you think we're shit just put five stars on lie no one will know <laughs> ever the professional mate <laughs> <Love it. laughs> The, oh, hardest, what, the, hardest, the hardest working man in independent podcasting, and he forgot to mention the show's Twitter. I was literally about to say, oh yeah, you say I'm professional. I've not actually plugged this show. <laughs> you can follow this show on Facebook and Twitter as well, at the Doctor Who Pod, and that's at the D-R-W-H-O-P-O-D, at the Doctor Who Pod. Yeah, and you can find me on Twitter at DanGriffin21, usually tweeting about wrestling that's a minimum six weeks out of date or movies that are 25 years out of date. And if you want more of my particular particular brand of Yorkshire bullshit, uh, you can hear me on Unbooking the Territory, where myself and UTT Rob look at the first and last of professional wrestling, covering everything from the classics you'd expect, like the you know the first Raw or the first SmackDown, all the way up to things like Randy Savage appearing on QVC. It's a wild ride, and we never quite know where we're going to go next. <laughs> and we've got our side project which is unbooking the tankatory where we chart the career in wcw of legitimately the hardest man that ever lived david tank abbott you can find those on twitter at utt podcast and at utt tank sarah thank you so much for picking this two parts i was really hoping you would <laughs> when you said you were going to pick capaldi so this couldn't have gone any better for me um it's been great speaking to you again i always love podcasting with you uh so take it away and let people know where they can find you yeah yeah i'm only a, a thank you for having me as well i've loved re-watching these this two part because it's been a, a fair few years since i've seen it um I'm only a small bean, but if people want to look me up on Twitter, I am at Turd Ferguson. Um, a bit like Dan, really, mainly tweeting about wrestling. Um, a bit of Quantum Leap, especially with the new stuff. Um, and loads of pictures of my little ginger dog, Archie. <laughs> yeah. And that's about it. Dog, dog pics in sci-fi, what could go wrong? And wrestling. <laughs> and wrestling. <laughs> I just want to second what Dan said as well, uh, Sarah. Thank you so much for coming on. I've had a no fantastic worries. time talking with you and watching this. I, I wouldn't have pressed play. <laughs> I, I watch I watch random wrestling and random Doctor Who when I go to bed. It's what I kind of fall asleep to. Yes. I would not have pressed play on this 
for a very long time if somebody hadn't brought it to the podcast until I caught up with with Charlie. So yeah. thank you so much for for bringing this basically to my attention and and getting you know getting me to watch this fantastic two parter. I loved it. Yeah, no worries. So then next week we've. Um, Last week we had Vampires of Venice, which was a down point for this podcast. This week we've shot right back up with Capaldi and the Zygon Invasion and Zygon Inversion, and we are going to keep that energy going because next week we are going to David Tennant and we are going to look at 2006's Girl in the Fireplace, which is, I believe, was one of my picks. Uh, And... I, is one of my very favourite Tenant episodes as well. I mm. put it up there as being nearly as good as Blink. And to anybody who listened to our first season, you know how much both me and Sai uh, <laughs> rated that highly. So you, you think it was one of your picks? Are you trying to mug me off? You got all the doctors in that random draft that I wanted. You got Tennant, you got Tom Baker, you got Sylvester McCoy. <laughs> and the best part is I've got the full draft list in front of me, so I know full well it was my pick. <laughs> you bastard. <laughs> oh, you love it. Just just pretend it was Clara being mean to you. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I just I take that. <laughs> oh, God. So, yeah, we're, oh, going, to, uh, we're going to David... <laughs> <laughs> you good champ you okay yes I enjoy do you want to go change your undies no 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 no, no. I'm good happy with the crust <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> so yeah join us next week for uh, the David Ten episode Girl in the Fireplace and we'll see you there and thank you for listening Yeah, absolute spunk bubble side. I'm dropping that in the end. <laughs> so that was weird as well, wasn't it? Because you said thank you for listening, which is normally my line, and then you jump in and say something stupid that make me laugh. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit backwards. I don't quite know what to do. Yeah, mind you, that's just us all over, isn't it? A little bit backwards. It is, mate. It is. There we go. But it seems like it drops out and then comes back again a couple of seconds later. Yeah, it blows the Wi-Fi away. So if the... sorry, it blows the Wi-Fi away. <laughs> uh, okay, so if it if that happens, um, I, we'll just have to you know deal with it, and I'll I'll tidy it up when I edit, I suppose. Yeah, no worries. Because I'm a fucking professional. <laughs> <laughs> you are not that in any sense of the word. Yeah, if you believe that, you'll believe fucking anything, mate. <laughs> right, okay. Three, two, one.